This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that satisfies your gut worm. I'm your host, the Dukakis-hugging moon maiden Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today as always. What up? It's Andrew Oh wow, and who do we have on the line? Uh, hey, uh, dialing in from the Canadian Olympic basketball team. Yep, it's just that easy. It's Will Sloan. Hi. And this week's episode is The Bart Wants What It Wants. Wow, this episode originally aired on February 17th, 2002, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Family Guy's then final episode airs on the Fox Network, Britney Spears' Crossroads debuts in theaters, and The Simpsons cause a stir in Toronto with this very episode. That's right. Uh, Family Guy, yes, canceled in its third season. Mm Mm-hmm. They wouldn't air one episode because of yeah. its content. Adult Swim would air it later, mm-hmm. and it would come uh, crawling back in uh, spring of 05 to really dominate for a few years. Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, the, the final episode that aired was the viewer mail episode, which was their attempt at a treehouse of horror where basically with the conceit that viewer mail came in to request an episode type, it'd be like, okay, then here's a little rascal style thing and two other ones that escape me. But uh, yeah. It, it's funny that a family guy if in season three feels like Mr. Plow compared to a new family guy. <laughs> yeah, so, or the family guy's had like 400 episodes now at this point too. And yeah. yeah, it was uh, when you wish upon a Weinstein, that was the one that you did not air on Fox, would air on Adult Swim. And yeah, just in the three years in between, it got so many views on Adult women sold so many dvds that family guy would come back triumphantly and still be on fox to this day with seemingly no sign of stopping and yes the britney spears crossroads film the and the album as well the home of the hit not a girl not yet a woman right right uh, and it uh, and, and her father played by ottawa's own dan Aykroyd. oh right now a beloved resident of kingston ontario i understand i, I understand uh, he's uh, uh regularly cited in in uh kingston and i'll, I'll just leave it at that <laughs> I, I I consider these like uh, there were these Chanteuse vanity projects right around 9/11. We had glitter and Crossroads. Mm, like it was right. a one-two punch, and they were both uh, big failures. I think people have uh, nostalgia for Crossroads, though. More nostalgia for Crossroads. Yeah, I think you know it's got good-ish actors in it. It's got uh, Zoe Saldana. She's good in it. Yeah. And, uh, Crossroads kind of flew under the radar compared to Glitter. I think Crossroads was just it was not it was not the comparable disaster. I think it was just greeted as kind of. Like like the 2002 equivalent of an Elvis movie, you know? Mm, yeah, I mean, Glitter got all of the headlines of like, oh, the worst movie ever. And Crossroads just wasn't good enough to be get treated negatively, I mm-hmm. guess. But yeah, and the, uh, 
And yes, uh, the, the major uh, thing, uh, The Simpsons doesn't always make the headlines, but it did this week with this very episode, at least north of the border in uh, in Canada to, to where me and Bob live, uh, which is a perfect segue into why we have on our guest this week. That's right. Joining us once again is Will Sloan of the Michael and Us podcast. Welcome back to the show, Will. Happy to be here. And yes, I can confirm because I lived through this. I was in the seventh grade at the time, and I can confirm that for a week, maybe a week and a half before this episode, there was a relentless drumbeat of publicity for it in the Canadian media. Uh, I don't have the evidence in front of me, but you're just going to have to trust me that the Canadian TV guide had a picture of the Simpsons in Mountie regalia on the front cover. You know, an official image with the Matt Groening signature in the bottom right Mm. corner and everything. Uh, It was on the news. Uh, Just just a lot of just a lot of like, oh, the Simpsons are coming to Canada hype. So a lot of us, a lot of us school kids were up there on Sunday night, really excited and then just spending (laughs) the first 18 minutes of the episode like, you know, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? And then it came and you could just feel across the country this like deflating of a balloon in that last act of the episode. And I just remember the massive disappointment on the schoolyard the next day. You were there when uh, John Frank and Don Payne robbed your country blind. (laughs) (laughs) This, uh, The Simpsons coming to Canada and then the next year conan o'brien coming to canada to do a week of shows were two seismic cultural events in in the history of toronto media <laughs> well yeah well uh, you you and uh, luke savage who we just had on the uh, judge judy episode of uh, of our podcast you guys do such great work on michael and us and uh, it's it's how uh, especially for me and bob we learn a lot about uh, uh, Canadian content and politics uh, very, very helpfully. Well, can I just say that watching this episode now for the first time in uh, 20 years, my God, uh, <laughs> watching it now, I, I one of the things I found uh, enjoyable about it was just seeing the way that Americans perceive Canada. It's pretty superficial, obviously. There, there's a, I mean, I won't spoil every gag because there aren't that many of them, but when they go mm-hmm. to the Dodgers of Foreign War, memorial it's just funny to look at that and be like oh yeah you know we had our own history that we think of around that time you know we were thinking of i don't know the uh, the flq crisis in quebec we were thinking about the debates over whether canada should have a flag uh we were <laughs> you know we, we we talk about the quiet revolution we talk about trudeau mania but then to to people in the united states it's like oh yeah canada was that country that people who didn't want to go to vietnam war went to and that was that was basically what it was for <laughs> and, like uh, thirty years. <laughs> and I guess they kind of have their own space needle. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's all the knee jerk uh, Toronto. By the way, uh, my wife, a Canadian, told me the dead giveaway that you're a foreigner is if you say Toronto. Mm. Uh, the correct way to say it if you're Canadian is Toronto. You, yeah, you they, kind of muffle that T into a D. They make a big deal about that in the movie Argo, and ever since seeing it, I've actually been very self-conscious. Anytime I've said the word Toronto, I, I avoid it as much as I can because I'm very concerned about becoming a Canadian stereotype. But but anyway, your wife is right. That's correct. I feel like if I say Toronto in Canada, it'll be like uh, an invasion of the body snatchers thing. Everyone will just point and open their mouths and scream <laughs> in the middle of the streets. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, Will, you've uh, lived in Toronto. You messed it up. Uh, damn it. Toronto. There you go. Toronto. Toronto. You've, you've lived there, what, your whole life or pretty much except for some college? Yeah, pretty much except for, you know, one or two years here and there. 
Um, yeah, pretty much. Well, you mentioned, uh, first of all, you mentioned Dan Aykroyd and seeing him around town. I haven't bought his Crystal Skull vodka. He almost got me with that Pride vodka, he tweeted out, because, I mean, it was like, it's a rainbow of vodka inside a Crystal Skull. Like, how much more magical can you get than that, you know? There's that great YouTube video where it's like Dan Aykroyd doing a Crystal Skull vodka commercial. I think if you search Dan Aykroyd Crystal Skull vodka, you'll, you'll see that there's a video where the first 10 minutes is him just talking about conspiracy theories talking about the moon landing and stuff like that and then he uh seamlessly goes right into a pitch for crystal skull vodka and about how the particular properties in the vodka are accessing certain crystals that access certain things that are going to make you feel really good but anyway i i will say you know you watch that commercial and it looks like the ramblings of a crazy man but you gotta hand it to him i mean that crystal (laughs) skull vodka really and truly is everywhere in canada you cannot avoid it he was a pioneer i mean now it's like yeah uh like a snore uh, george clooney's making his own stuff the rocks making his own stuff i want want these like overweight weirdos these these character actors making their own uh, booze (laughs) yeah (laughs) these these giants not these uh, cut hunks yeah i mean mean, let me tell you dan dan Aykroyd, you know came from snl he knows a thing or two about substance abuse so i trust him i trust him with with liquor absolutely (laughs) and uh yeah you know uh, the 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 background i saw on this though i could not i have to say i'm mad at the toronto star they do not uh archive their stuff online very usefully because the wiki page for this lists like multiple toronto star articles like dumping on uh this episode and in in reaction to it but then i can't actually find it online it's like you know the week after this aired toronto star published a thing like oh the simpsons miss again or whatever you should have checked the microfiche (laughs) But, you know, on the commentary, Al Jean seems to be a little defensive of like, he didn't want this advertised super heavily in Canada. They, it was not, it didn't sound like internally for the producers, this was pitched as the Simpsons go to Canada episode. I get the feeling that Fox PR I think so. got a sense of like, hey, we could advertise this one really heavily in Canada. And so like apparently they had pitched to the city of Tirana. It's Tirani. Tirani. But that they pitched that February 17th, 2002 could officially be Simpsons Day. But the, the, the local government turned it down because it was, you know, advertising a giant business. Mm-hmm. So they, they said no to it. And they already had Flaming Moe's Day. <laughs> I'm more sympathetic to Al Jean now hearing that and, and having watched the episode again, because it definitely does look so- like something that was just a throwaway joke idea. I will just say that for all of us on the schoolyard, we thought it was going to be basically the sequel to that Simpsons Go to New York episode we thought it was going to be full-on dense with toronto stuff we all felt a little bit had (laughs) yeah i mentioned it earlier but uh the writers of this episode uh john frank and don Payne. don Payne has since passed away but they uh they hinted on the commentary that they were both given like a very nice trip to canada for this episode they felt like they were really ripping them off because uh let's say right now there are four minutes of toronto content and maybe 90 seconds actually take place within recognizable landmarks of that city mm-hmm. the rest is in a movie studio that does not exist <laughs> paramount yeah. yeah it definitely does not look like the work of people who have walked on the streets of toronto <laughs> and uh yeah i would have thought it'd at least be more 
the way it was pitched in the ads i remember seeing too was like you know i thought it'd be like the australia episode where they spent like two freaking acts in australia and yeah so many jokes about it but well the vancouver episode is just as disappointing as this one although they do mm. spend more time in vancouver <laughs> is that the one where they pissed off uh people from newfoundland as well i think so yeah. it's all about curling though where they said every person from newfoundland is ralph like i think i think way. so yeah yeah yes. that's true yeah <laughs> but uh well i mean it's true that they said that yeah it is true they said that. yeah you're not agreeing with the no, statement no. but i it sounds like they they found their two canadian writers on the show at the time and send them up there too to be like no see we're canadian we write though they didn't they, they weren't given the episode they're both from alberta or something or uh, one so of them is? tim long was born in exeter ontario and okay. joel cohen from calgary alberta okay so yeah I've, I've learned a lot about provinces lately though i i should also say my main knowledge of canada is through pro wrestling and canadian pro wrestlers i enjoy <laughs> bret hart bret hart from he's from calgary yeah and you know uh, edmonton is the home of uh, the guy used to be my favorite up until june 2007 uh, i think wrestling fans know who i'm talking about oh <laughs> uh, and of course from winnipeg is uh kenny omega another of my favorites now there's not yet a favorite of mine from vancouver oh and of course in toronto you got edge adam copeland and uh, as well as christian from uh the, the, those are the top dudes from toronto i really only know uh comedians who are from canada which is most of them uh, yes basically yeah. everybody <laughs> from saturday night live or like any 80s movie star feel like comedic movie star was from canada uh every canadian knows every canadian celebrity we take that very seriously uh you know uh, howie mandel rick moranis uh, uh dan Aykroyd, jim carrey the whole gang you know we, we you know we know everyone here you guys on on michael and us you also do a lot of good talk about you know maple washing and how uh, especially in 2002 they, they kind of just missed the jokes about how canada is just better than america or how you're ashamed to be in america like this is like oh we call it america junior even though the iraq war is about to start and yeah, yeah. you know we'd be looking at uh, canada a little differently this, or at least uh, hollywood liberals would be this was a pre 9 11 written episode mm -hmm. which is why they changed one line in yeah. the final cut very cowardly yes. uh, change of a line i'd say yeah it also just feels to me like an episode that comes from a very distinct time in canadian culture i, I don't know if i can particularly articulate this i don't even know if i'm being particularly accurate but toronto has grown a lot in the 20 years since then there's been a, an enormous amount of development uh, i think a lot more people live in the downtown now uh, there was th this came from a particular period when it was a couple years after the city of Toronto amalgamated. So the the downtown tr downtown Toronto amalgamated with all of its suburbs, which were originally distinct municipalities. This happened in the late 1990s, and uh, our mayor at the and, and basically what that meant was city council became huge. The city officially became much bigger. Many areas of the city that used to have their own mayor basically now just had their own city council and as a result uh, you know th this was done by the provincial conservative government as a way to essentially get like a handful more seats for themselves and <laughs> in, in provincial legislation and i can't right now explain exactly how the math of that worked but that's that's that was the reason for it and the result has been that uh, you've got this very awkward massive city now that uh you know has you know much like the united states there's kind of like this kind of like red state and blue state parts of the city there's uh, huge cultural divides 
people in the outer in the outer stretches of the city who don't feel represented by the downtown. And all of those tensions really culminated with the election of Rob Ford as mayor in 2010, mm. who was kind of like uh, our Donald Trump basically before Donald Trump. But this this comes from a time when the the mega city, as it was called, was very new. And our mayor at that time, well, our, our, was also a kind of Trumpian figure by the name of Mel Lastman, who used to uh, used to run like a furniture warehouse store and was was, was, <laughs> all, it was called, uh, a store called Bad Boy. And he was he was often on commercials dressed in like a uh, striped convict uniform going, nope, <laughs> who beats bad boy? Nobody. Anyway, he became the mayor and he became this like real hype man for the city of Toronto. He was like, he was going to really build up the city of Toronto's reputation. This was at a time when new tax incentives were introduced in Toronto to bring a lot of film production, you know, great films like The Tuxedo and Exit Wounds and Freddy Ooh, versus yeah. Jason were, were all <laughs> shot in Toronto during this time. And we were really thought of as like Hollywood North. Mel Lastman was also the person who almost single-handedly squashed our Olympic bid around this time because he went on a trip to Africa and he said he said in the media words to the effect of, huh, I, uh, I was worried uh, I was going to find myself in a pot surrounded by crazy natives. And Ooh. the Olympics instead went to Beijing. So that, mm. that that speaks to how bad those comments were received at the time. Uh, but anyway, when I look back at this episode, I get all the memories of that. I get the memories of Toronto as this very like striving, wannabe, world-class city. Uh, I think of the, the spirit in the air when the Simpsons were coming. And then the next year when Conan O'Brien came, there was th- this spirit of like, oh my God, like we're a real city. Americans are noticing us. And that's... <laughs> That spirit continued to grow and evolve throughout the rest of the decade in the city until, you know, Rob Ford inaugurated a new era of uh, Toronto's self-image. Well, you know, this uh, this episode idea came up, uh, apparently, uh, it started with Matt Selman, uh, who didn't write the episode. He came up with the idea that Bart would want to hang around a girl because she's rich, but not respond to her uh, interest in him, you know, and that, yes. that's, it grew from there. I mean, your opening clip, Henry, of the man's screaming uh, the man homer screaming and then saying yeah. i'm bored uh that's how i feel about this episode <laughs> uh because as a, like uh they have a problem uh especially in this era of writing female characters especially when they when they want to flatter a uh, an attractive guest star mm-hmm. so like every time there's like a romantic interest on the show in this era they're just very they're like a dead-eyed nobody they have no personality outside of i like the character that's already on the show like i can think of uh, renee from the mo episode oh, yeah, uh, yeah. dumbbell indemnity this uh, reese witherspoon character greta she had, there's nothing going on there's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing going on besides i like bart and because of that it's very boring if you look at bart's past interests there's like um from new kid on the block uh what's her name again oh yeah uh no well, i mean sarah gilbert playing yeah, sarah her, gilbert yeah yeah I'm, i apologize <laughs> oh my god i'm a failure and also uh, uh jessica lovejoy like mm-hmm. they have uh, they have things going on they are defined personalities before they meet bart but all this character is is like i like bart mm-hmm. and i'm sad when bart doesn't like me mm-hmm. and there's nothing else going on there which is why it's it's very very dull but also this is the first real uh episode where rainier wolfcastle is a character 
character who has a real plot in this episode. And it's funny because, you know, this is written in uh, summer of 2000. It's right before 9-11, but it's also on the brink of him entering politics for real, becoming the governor of our state of California. So yeah. uh, like 18 months after this airs, he all the jokes about him will change to the point where he is basically a character in the Simpsons movie playing off of his role as governor of our state. Yeah, when McBain just became Arnold Schwarzenegger, the man himself in the Simpsons movie in 2007, which we did a whole Michael and Us podcast That's about right. with you guys. But that, that it felt kind of dated in 02 because it's like, it's about how Schwarzenegger, it's, it's, it's jokes about his mid-90s, like Jingle All the Way, or the one where he gets pregnant, uh, which- Junior. Junior, Junior yes, yeah. thank you, yeah. In, in it's a parody of those kind of movies when they talk about like the incredible shrinking McBain but he wasn't making those until like he was making movies people didn't watch like end of days like that just people didn't care about one way or the other the niche of action movies had moved on which makes some of the jokes in this that are about like 1986 films or or you know like commando uh kind of just fall like duds to me I think I also think that in terms of the film world satire of this episode uh, in retrospect respect this episode comes in a transition period the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie opened a couple of months after this, which inaugurated not just uh, a new the new dominance of the superhero genre, but also signaled a new kind of action hero. You know, somebody who could just mm. be a normal actor who is heavily assisted by CGI and that sort of thing. I feel like in terms of coming up with a movie star archetype and these these peripheral Simpsons characters like Rainier Wolfcastle are nothing if not archetypes. The new archetype was not yet perceivable, I think. Uh, I, I will just say, though, that The Simpsons in the 20 years since has also failed at coming up with new archetypes to accommodate, you know, <laughs> the many, many ways the world has changed since yeah. then. Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, his filmography and yeah, 2002 is Collateral Damage. Mm. 2003 is Terminator 3 and then nothing until The Expendables. See, that was uh. his last grasp. He's like, all right, look, you want another Terminator? I'll do that. Like, uh, you don't want that either. Fine politics for me then i'll just be the governor uh, i'll also <laughs> say that this episode i agree with you it's not very good and the rainier wolf castle subplot of it i think signals sort of why i mean it's an episode that feels like it's cobbled together out of ideas from earlier episodes and the idea of the simpsons coming into proximity with a really super famous person reminds me of the episode a fish called selma where mm -hmm. Selma gets with Troy McClure. But there felt in that episode uh, a lot of weight to the idea of Troy McClure entering the Simpsons orbit. It felt consequential, felt like it meant something. Whereas in this episode, I don't know, it's just like Rainier Wolfcastle is just kind of around town. It doesn't, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. anything when Rainier Wolfcastle is having dinner at the Simpsons dinner table. Yeah, or even the Mel Gibson episode, I think, handles it even slightly better yeah. than this. Not that that's a great episode, but it at least... Because it is an actual movie star, Homer hanging out with him has at least a little more gravitas to it. And it's, it's more it's more plausible that uh, Troy McClure lives in Springfield because he's washed up. Yeah, yeah. Seemingly, Rainier Wolfcastle is still making hit movies, or mm -hmm. he was a much bigger star than Troy McClure, at least. Mm -hmm. But this also just feels like, uh, I'll say this about 8 million 
Algene episodes, but it also feels like a lost critic episode. And I think <laughs> it would it would make more sense in the critic for Jay Sherman's son Marty, who is written as like thirteen ish or fourteen. Like he'd be the kind of kid to have like puppy love with a girl who turns out to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. Bart's ten and Greta's ten. It just doesn't. Some of the relationship stuff they do later in it, I'm just like, well, now this is. These are 10 year olds. This is a little too, a little too much for me. Yeah. Also, I think on the point of how meaningless it is that the Simpsons have entered a movie star's orbit, the fact that the second half of the episode is devoted to Bart being jealous that Greta is now hanging out with Millhouse. I mean, it's a huge thing for Bart to be hanging out with Rainier Wolfcastle's daughter. And it would be an even huger thing for then Millhouse to start hanging out with Rainier Wolfcastle's daughter. And <laughs> somehow the episode loses sight of that in this love triangle plot like it could just be it could be just any neighborhood girl mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, i guess it wouldn't give an excuse to go to a movie uh set like, yeah, yeah. yeah something I, I just remember now and i can't believe i wasn't thinking of it millhouse was in a movie with rainier wolfcastle oh my god yeah. you're right oh yeah. my god. <laughs> so it was never released yeah like, yeah Wolf, yeah millhouse should be like well yeah i met greta before we were on set together yeah like how, how like how did i not think of this until now how, how does this not come wow. up in the show like oh yeah. like yeah we i know Melhouse from back in the day and maybe rainier and he could like reflect upon their their time on that bomb or whatever <laughs> wow but, yeah boy. yeah and it seems it seems like a minor thing it's like we all know that the simpsons are uh, chronology of the show is basically going to reset back to one at the start of every episode but in the past there the basic the sort of tiny respect that it used to pay for canon the idea that <laughs> after the b sharps were introduced homer was always in the b sharps or after homer went to space there might occasionally be fleeting references to the fact that he went to space but i don't know in in the al Jean era you see this sort of uh, lack of interest or this disrespect to the the basic sort of rules of the history of the simpsons that had been established and it doesn't seem like a big deal in a one one by one case but it, it is a big deal because it just ultimately gives the sense that they don't care and mm. and why should we care <laughs> Uh, well, the the episode begins first with a with a speaking of Al Jean Staples, uh, it's the circus couch gag, which yeah. in classic Simpsons would be used uh, several times because uh, usually Al Jean and Mike Reese their episodes and Merkin did it once as well. If an episode runs long or runs short, as in you don't have enough time to fill the allotted time uh, for all the ads and stuff, you then play the circus couch gag because that lasts like twenty extra seconds, so it buys you some more time. Not counting time it appears in a clip package this is the last time they use the oh, circus cash really? gag on the show yes yeah so. first used in uh, lisa's first word season four and this was an anomaly but in post like 2010 i think they start doing much longer couch gags to do like viral content so yes, yeah. like you know the the wretched john chris felucci ones the banksy ones mm. they start getting longer to be things that are shared on the internet mm. so but this was an anomaly one that's like just a little bit longer than normal The Simpsons will be right back. Will Bart fight his best friend over a girl? No one loves a quitter. You go over there and win her back. She might say no. I give up. I'm going to take a nap. Reese Witherspoon joins the new Simpsons.
Welcome to the break. It's Henry Gilbert coming to you live from CN Tower. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Toronto's own Will Sloan from the podcasts, Michael and Us, and the Important Cinema Club. Big thank you to Will for coming on. Please check him out on Twitter as Will Sloan Esquire. And of course, the cool podcast that he does, Michael and Us, and the Important Cinema Club. And if you're a big fan of Talking Simpsons, you should know that this podcast is only possible thanks to the support of subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Simpsons for five bucks a month. They help me and Bob do this as our full-time jobs, and they also get a ton of exclusive stuff for that five bucks a month, including a monthly episode of Talking Futurama and a monthly episode of Talking of the Hill of us covering those series super in-depth, one episode at a time each month. You can only hear those if you are a subscriber at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, and you get access to the entire back catalog, which includes all of our previous episodes covering Futurama and King of the Hill, plus us covering every episode of The Critic, Mission Hill, and our ten favorite episodes of Batman the animated series you can hear about all that and more if you check out patreon.com slash talking simpsons But if you want something even nicer than a visit to the Sky Dome, you should check out the $10 and up level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, that premium level. Get you all that $5 stuff I just mentioned, and then a monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast. Me and Bob covering an animated feature film super duper in depth, just like we do The Simpsons, often over five or even over six hours long. Our longest to date is the six and a half hour one of Who Framed Roger Rabbit we did this year. Most recently, we've been doing our Summer of Disney Renaissance of us covering The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and wrapping it up in August with The Rescuers Down Under. And next month, we'll be doing Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe. There's a giant back catalog of almost four years' worth of what a cartoon movies. I'd venture to say over 300 hours of us going super in-depth into the history and through scene by scene through a bunch of classic animated feature films. Everything from a goofy movie to Akira, Shrek to Spider-Verse, and everything in between. Please check it all out at Patreon dot com slash talking simpsons Uh, the episode begins with uh, Homer in full Captain Wacky style. He has stolen the Olympic torch and <laughs> is being chased down. You know, the the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics had just ended when this uh, episode aired. And I think, well, first off, they, they have the Olympic logo rings, different colors and upside down on the side of it to prevent any lawsuits from the very litigious Olympic uh, committee. Yeah, also, uh, the, the line of Bart saying, you can always find your favorite shows next month. I think that's a joke about how if you tuned into NBC that says, Seinfeld is preempted, but you can always find your shows, favorite shows next month when the Olympics are over or hmm. whatever. Well, just for a Canadian perspective, here i can tell you that our hockey team won gold at that olympics so mm. that was a huge deal in canada and i think we were all kind of still high from that when this episode <laughs> aired see this is this is cutting to the end of the episode but this is why we make fun of the basketball because we're jealous americans are jealous that we don't medal <laughs> in the ice hockey so we're just like yeah well canada hasn't even made it into the quarterfinals of the basketball mm. forever they can't beat the nba team that's <laughs> basically that we have playing but yes homer very insanely is being chased by a helicopter that it's then tossed back into the helicopter the two pilots are so distracted by the beauty of the flame that 
crash. Don't die. Yeah, that surprised me. <laughs> uh, but it's just so they can go like, oh, no. And they scream, no. And Homer just says, he's bored. Like, that is such an insane And they're done. Start. Yep. They're done with this little bit. I think they're acknowledging, like, um, there are no more jokes. Yep. Yeah. We, we, we did them all. Let's move on to the next set piece, which is the fair, which, not to be too cranky, but how many times have they started with a fair? Yeah, this feels like the fifth time. Like, We've seen, like, two, three book fairs at this point. I mean, even back in season four, that was an idea for a set piece. Like, let's start uh, Lisa the Beauty Queen. Let's start at the, the Springfield Elementary Fair. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a way to tell a bunch of jokes about like what's going on in this booth what's this game like what are they selling Mm -hmm. but they've done it a lot in the last like three or four years it feels like yeah remember the uh the one where marge wants to go to the apron convention and then we don't even get to see it and on their way back from the apron convention that's when they go to the uh, prison rodeo like so it was like a double the car drives up to a thing and they look at it but i mean also that homer instantly takes like the car off the road like that that is like uh you know an exit ramp is the term they use in in the writer's room for like and now let's take have a crazy tangent here that homer literally drives off of the road to get to the next thing (laughs) but in this case it is a school fair for a fancy preparatory school and uh, lisa i guess this also is very of the time in that well-meaning liberals who write shows like the simpsons see prep schools as great and that they need to uh (laughs) you need to go to them and and kids like lisa would be so much better off at them uh than going to a real school (laughs) i could definitely the current see the current day simpsons doing an episode about how charter schools are great you know it's uh, just just completely oblivious you know they finally hired some uh, writers under 35 so i think they might not they may less likely do it now they uh <laughs> Will, I don't know if you saw, they did, they actually did a response episode to, there was a piece in the Atlantic about how Bart could never have Homer's job now, and that the middle class life the Simpsons had in 1990 is impossible to reach now. So they did an episode that was in response to that, and I, I showed Bob it to the, uh, they, it's a long musical sung by uh, Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but the... It starts off listing like all of these real facts about like, yeah, you're only going to make less money. You won't have a union job like that, all this. But then when it comes and I was like, okay, wow, Simpson's kind of right about this. But then when it came time to diagnose how to fix it, they're like, well, old people listen to Tucker Carlson too much. And that's why you can't fix it. I was like, wait, well, (laughs) hey, wait a minute. What was that thing they were doing about firefighters? What was that little thing? The Bart could, the Bart wanted a secure job and he realized like well i could be a firefighter that's a secure job but yeah as soon as i saw that i I thought like no in america uh prisoners put out fires for no money yeah for like a nickel an hour (laughs) yeah like whenever our state catches on fire like it just uh basically uh, state-owned slaves go to work yeah you know if the simpsons knew what they were doing right now they would take that premise the idea of like doing an episode on what the simpsons would be like in the current day and then they would just make that the whole show now and keep going (laughs) but in this case like lisa is just uh depressed uh, that she'll never get to go there i mean i also think whenever i see they have jokes later about getting into a good school i just think about how again like al Jean at 16 got into harvard like he's a super genius kid mm-hmm. like that that's where it's really coming from and but. if you live in la especially and you're a parent it's all about like getting your kid into the right school and how hard mm-hmm. it is and they've done episodes about that before on the simpsons and the critic yes yeah they're all they're all focused on that and i understand why i like how uh homer responds to Lisa with but knowing about it would make you want to go here <laughs> uh, and that's where the one deleted scene on the DVD is 
Uh, it's a hidden one, but in this one, it they had a little extra line here where Bart reveals that he also knew there were private schools in Springfield and Maggie as well, and that they were all keeping it a secret from Lisa, <laughs> which which hurts her feelings more. This then they run into uh, the principal there, Sinjin Van Hookstraten, which sounds like a that's a that's an all right smart rich guy name. When he smacks Homer and says monkeys point. That feels like something a Harvard professor has like yelled at uh, one of their <laughs> students. That's that's what it feels like to me. And uh, at the school, the we see Brockman and Hibbert with their kids there because they're the only like upper class parents in the uh, whole world of Springfield. A previously, previously unseen uh, Brockman's son. Oh right, we'd seen the little girl before with her dolly that made him report about it. But and her abalone sandwich. <laughs> right. And then there's an all right joke about Marge recognizing that the film Calling All Coeds was filmed there, and that was uh, is that the fountain where Boozer drank the pee it's one of the places and and were these bounce houses new at the time mm, i remember bouncing in them when it was age appropriate okay. for me i feel like they existed before that yeah, yeah they they definitely did exist i can speak to that as somebody who was uh 13 when this episode came out but uh but let me tell you a guy like homer should not be getting into them that's just my take with his shoes on too no way actually yeah, yeah there was a bounce house in the uh the episode where martin had his birthday party oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then where uh it gets vomited into by yes. uh by wendell wendell actually vomited uh though yeah that, springfield confidential yeah. that's mm-hmm. uh you know with the uh, the the bounce houses i only really see them in the news lately when it's uh they get blown away by a strong wind and uh like on the beach like somebody puts a bounce house on a beach and it's just blown off by a strong wind it's you know, a danger I, I, bounce house i've never been in one mm. it's uh they're basically a balloon they can just fly away but yes now it's time for a joke about comparing schools and followed by a rich friend getting a, pre- a gift basically <laughs> in, the, in the form of a simpsons appearance in this first clip oh, this school has everything i know doesn't it just honk you off <gasps> their periodic table has 250 elements and our school boards cut us back to 16 all of them lanthanides you know we could get equipment like this through a bond issue hmm. here's your bond issue <laughs> Quick, take these. Principal Skinner, you're just stealing. <laughs> Welcome to Dick Cheney's America. Mmm, all this food is so frou-frou. <gasps> Ooh, Fabergé egg salad. Look, Brandine, it's Wolfgang Puck. Mr. Puck, you make the only grub what satisfies my gut worm, I swear. Try my Rice Krispie squares. They are wasabi infused with the portobello glaze. And you can buy them at the airport. I make mine with M&M's. With M&M's? Now that's what I call fusion. I could sell them on the internet. Mwah. To the Pacmobile. Ah, go, go, go. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't initially realize that was Wolfgang Puck's real voice. I thought it was Hank, <laughs> Hank Azaria or someone doing an impression, but I should have remembered that from this point forward on The Simpsons, if it is a celebrity, it is them as themselves. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a very fawning portrayal of a, him, and a, just people complimenting him all the time, and <laughs> saying, wow, you're really great, Wolfgang Puck. We eat your food at the airport. Yeah. I, I only associate it, him with the airport uh, eateries, really. <laughs> I don't know anything else about him. 
I'm I'm reminded of uh, Johnny Carson on the Krusty Gets Cancelled episode where they they had to make it such a fawning character. Like he wouldn't do anything that was even mildly like self-deprecating about himself. So they had to make it so that he he was super strong and everyone wanted Mm -hmm. to see him. And I don't know, it it feels like at a certain point they were determined to no longer have that trouble with any celebrity ever again. No, yeah, they, you don't want to uh, hurt their feelings even a little. Yeah, I uh, I looked up Wolfgang Puck did a 2021 interview with Rolling Stone. You know that general like YouTube friendly clickbaity type thing about like the first time you like well, did whatever this and one of his questions was first time you were on The Simpsons and he uh, the way he said it happened was he, he didn't say much but he did say uh, you know I of course knew Jim Brooks really well. It's like mm-hmm. well okay there you go Jim Brooks goes to your Spago restaurant a lot and probably this got you him a nice uh nice table and he said he loved doing the table read and that the treat for him was that he didn't tell his kids he was going to be on the simpsons but watch the episode with them and then got to see oh. their excitement so really it's just if you've got kids you want to be on the simpsons just to impress your kids too. and uh there's pizza on the puck mobile because his signature meal one of them at spago is salmon uh smoked salmon pizza oh okay see yeah i the airport thing that is obviously i've never been to spago either i the airport thing yes like there's there's the kitchen by wolfgang puck uh, across a lot of american airports as well uh, i've seen them in the vegas and burbank airports outside of america America. they're like in hong kong dubai and calgary though not ontario it's uh it's mm-hmm. in calgary but not at the toronto airport the uh the wolfgang puck kitchen and one big change here because yes, big, big the episode change. written in summer of 2001 airs in february 2002 a little thing called 9-11 happens and suddenly george w bush is a hero mm-hmm. approval ratings off the charts so the line uh welcome to dick cheney's america was once welcome to george w bush's america implying that he stole the election right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was the joke but now it doesn't really make sense but i guess it's like well everybody hates dick cheney no matter what yeah they like we can still make fun of dick cheney that's the safe one but (laughs) they they kind of admit to their cowardice on the commentary they're like oh yeah now everybody loves george bush why i think like 2008 commentary they're like yeah what were we doing not being as mean to george bush as we could be but it's just sad like they they were rightfully mean to clinton and they but they felt they were uh yeah they it uh, obviously 9-11 scared everybody afterwards I was yeah I I was actually trying to remember in that joke was there some specific scandal that related to Dick Cheney in relation to either uh, stealing or uh, uh, something to do with schools or something but I I couldn't think of one so I yeah I guess it must have just had to have been a generic sort of Republicans are in power joke yeah I mean one would expect that like you could make the connection that like well when Republicans are in power schools would get even less funding so Mm. now schools need to steal for it but i do think too that like skinner being this uh evil or i mean this is just crazy like they're gonna have a joke later that hinges upon skinner being boring that it feels like they then really shouldn't do a joke about skinner hiding in the bushes to appear and then steal like smash in a window and rob a a a prep school that feels like too crazy to give the guy to give your boring character skinner Mm -hmm. uh and uh and yes you know what uh the the joke is that 250 on the periodic table that is there's only 118 elements on it but the joke is a richer school would have more uh they could afford more periodic uh elements 
elements on it. Uh, and lanthanides are a series of chemical elements comprising of 15 metallic chemical elements with atomic numbers 57 through 71 from lanthanum to lutetium. Lu, no, lutetium. Uh, so, Henry, please. Uh, <laughs> or lutetium. Anyway, there's only 15 of them. When Skinner says there's 16, he's off by one on the lumber, number of lanthanides. Unless that's uh, unless they are, uh, there's been a change in the elemental Some table. Some chemistry major is pulling their car over to the side of the road <laughs> but, and leaving a comment. But it's mostly accurate about lanthanides uh, and uh, that, that, that that's what's limited on their, uh, their thing. But anyway, I don't know. It's, again, that Lisa just crying about how great public pre, uh, prep schools are. That feels very bougie to me, I have to uh -huh. say. Bart gets on the bumper cars, surrounded by rich kids who are too nice. I, I wonder, too, if this is like how the producers of the show feel once they become Hollywood millionaires and they're surrounded by, like, these effete rich kids. And they're like, oh, man, I, miss, I wish it was around normal kids who wanted to just slam bumper cars into each other. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys. When I was a kid, bumper cars uh, stressed me out. I didn't like them. I, I did not like driving around and I'm getting smashed around. And yeah, the small number of times I ever yeah, drove a bumper car, I mean... Surprise, surprise. I always found myself in the corner, unable to move, just being rammed by some <laughs> other kid. So, yeah, never as exciting as it seemed. I didn't like it. There were there were too many sparks, frankly. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. also there was no there was no winner. There was no like purpose. Just like, mm -hmm. all right, uh, just drive around for about a minute and then get out. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, it felt it felt uh, different in the pre video game days. I guess it was more more impressive then. Uh, and this also Bart says, let's ramalam these ding dongs, which is a reference to the classic song ramalam ding dong from the Edsels. We talked way more about that on our Mark Hamill Muppets episode of What a Cartoon. So <laughs> right. check that one out if you want to hear more info on that song there's an okay gag about a silent auction that homer bids 50 dollars on behalf of ned which is for a hundred dollar bill <laughs> and then they hand ned a 50 dollar bill as his as his winning i uh, i at least laughed when it was a 50 dollar bill and a less funny gag about a ring toss but at least when lenny carl win their microscopes they they play sword fight with them and it makes the sound of swords that's my favorite joke that the mm -hmm. microscopes somehow sound like swords when they clank together it's just good to see them get along <laughs> those guys are hanging out more and more every episode <laughs> uh but yes this is when bart saves a girl from some bullies a bunch of mean uh, mean rich boys and uh greta is played by reese witherspoon who you know when this episode came out uh, she was on a real high legally blonde would be coming out yeah election american psycho pleasantville right she, she had also played uh jennifer anderson's sister on friends as well i think legally blonde uh was not out when they recorded her yeah yeah it was she was on the brink of becoming a huge star and now she is one of the many people who took quibi for all their worth yep yeah it's uh, and you know what good for her uh, I, I have to correct you legally blonde came out in the year 2001 so uh Whoa. It, it, it oh. actually it actually was out and uh she had just blown up wow man they they got her right before that uh, they they recorded with her right before it got huge I, well they talk about how that yeah they recorded with her when she was like holding her baby like her baby was there with her recording it and that that baby daughter is ava uh who is now 22 and looks a whole lot like her mom 
uh, and has a million followers on Instagram, but she's not sure if she wants to get into acting just Aww. yet. Yeah, Aww. but I say let it happen. <laughs> and you know what, Bob? <laughs> me and her, me and you could have walked by her and not even know it because she went to Berkeley, Cal, uh, Cal here uh, in in our neighborhood for the last four years. I think I wouldn't have known it because she's three feet tall. <laughs> I just think and, acting is a very tough discipline to get into. You know, there's a lot of rejection. There are a lot of closed doors, and I hope she's able to get a foot in that door somehow. <laughs> Good luck to her. Yeah, that she's the daughter of really two movie stars because her father is Ryan Felipe. She also looks a lot like both of them, so she is an attractive person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that it, should be illegal. We can't. We can't <laughs> be doing this. You know, but for uh, Reese Witherspoon, she's been in an interesting place lately because, yes, like you said, uh, she post-divorce from Ryan Felipe. Uh, she married the head of the CAA talent agency in Hollywood and it has Jim Toth. And they have become big time executives in Hollywood. Her company, Hello Sunshine, produces a ton of movies and TV shows. Her husband, Jim Toth, was on the executive board at Quibi. Coincidentally, she got a huge huge deal to be a star of a Quibi show that's it's a strange crazy coincidence that would happen when her husband is like one of the chief executives hey, there uh, no spoilers I need to finish Fierce Queens okay <laughs> and uh, and also she is selling NFTs hardcore these days and well she's making space for female creatives in the traditionally male dominated NFT space and I, NF- I think that's a beautiful thing it's it's very disruptive in the NFT space what she's doing now it's yeah. good to, to that she's rectifying the historic injustices that have plagued the nft space for these past eight or nine months <laughs> but but yes let's hear uh let's hear reese witherspoon in simpler times here as she be uh, plays greta befriending bart you were so brave to take on all those bullies those weren't bullies that's a bully hey butler stop buttling yourself <coughs> was it i could sir <coughs> Time to go, Greta. Your mother's custody starts at 1800 hours. Your dad's McBain? Ha ha ha. I play many characters. McBain, Officer Nick Vengeance, Sergeant Murder, and I was a voice under Frasier. Would you like to come to my house sometime? If it's okay with my dad. Come. We play Uno. I chase you with hoes. No biggie. Wow, cool. Uh, I guess we're leaving too. No, I belong. Please! Don't worry, honey. We can't afford this now. But when it's time for college, I promise my darling daughter can go to the finest school there is in South Carolina. Oh, I will not be a Gamecock. You will too. No. (laughs) Go, Gamecock. Take that, non-Ivy yeah. League schools. I know, yeah. In the yeah. South. Uh, University of South Carolina and you're fighting Gamecocks. How dare you It's a really so cool good. logo. I looked it up. Yeah, that is cool. I'd, I'd rather be, there's another Southern team that like okra is there. It's fighting okra. It's Boring. Like, yeah. But of the list of his things, him saying I was a voice on the Frasier, that was the one that gave me the biggest giggle. Because mm-hmm. Though Arnold himself never did a voice cameo on Fra- Frasier, though many movie stars did. They would call in as his uh, his guest, right, or whatever. Yes, yeah, or his patience. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's also possible that Greta is based on Catherine Schwarzenegger, uh, the oldest daughter of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who mm. at the time this episode aired was twelve. Uh, she's thirty-two now, and yes, married to Chris Pratt. Right. Yep. Right. So that's uh, that's what the real 
real life Greta grew up to do marry marry Chris Pratt and uh, push him towards towards uh, I think being a Republican president someday I've, I've said it before <laughs> I've called it on this thing before I think pretty sure it's gonna happen or the you know what honestly Democratic president the Democrats will just get inched just a little more rightward and then boom Chris Pratt right there in the I can zone. see it I can yep. see it I think there's a good chance Chris Pratt actually just does have Joe Biden's politics anyway he could he could run in 2024 <laughs> and I think it'd be fine yeah I think so he just well he doesn't do enough glad handing though with the uh with the rest of the group there like he he's not invited to the SNL parties because uh, he's ever so slightly on the outside but mm-hmm. he's, he's working his way in but I also had thought, oh, McBain should remember Bart from when Homer and McBain worked out together and right. Homer gained uh, like all that muscle mass. Or pretty recently, Homer and Marge stole his car. Or no, Marge and Lisa stole his car in the uh, in Trilogy the, of the Error. Trilogy of Error. Yeah. yeah. So I guess they all have Mr. Burns uh, brain condition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they, <laughs> they have like face blindness for the Simpsons. Uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he wouldn't remember. He meets so many people. Who's he going to remember? The little people? No way. Yeah. Though in this world uh mcbain or uh, rainier wolfcastle he's divorced uh of course maria schreiber and arnold arnold wouldn't divorce until 2011 and uh that was when uh, a fifth uh arnold's son was uh a fifth arnold child was discovered revealed yes yeah <laughs> he's pretty popular on instagram too that, really uh, that kid yeah he shows okay. off a lot of he's got the the he's got the closest to his dad's physique of any of his children i'd say mm. yeah i i like him i'm in favor of that schwarzenegger child <laughs> so he has at least one large son yeah a large yeah. adult son uh but yes uh the just him saying like we play you know i chase you with hoes no biggie rainier is a little too friendly i don't know i but again i just wish this is what happens on the show where they want bart and lisa to have like dating stories they could write aging children into but the kids are 10 and 8 it just it always anytime they do dating stuff with the kids i'm just like they're really young mm. they're, it's just too feels weird i i I don't i don't ever really like it yeah i i hear what you mean although uh, i i hate to say that age is just a number for bart but truly it (laughs) is because like like all of the characters on this show he is he's just the archetype of like kid and uh sometimes sometimes he's like prepubescent sometimes sometimes he could be like 12 or 13 or 14 he's just like the same way that rainier wolfcastle is sort of based on arnold schwarzenegger but is also all movie stars at this time He's just sort of like all boy children. Yeah, there's really no one of dating age. So they can't make dating stories unless they just kind of age up the children mentally, you know, mm-hmm. and just make it work for them. I get it. I mean, other, are you uh, saying that Disney is grooming people that putting oh, these stories in their content, Henry? Now that you say it, put it like that, Bob, I yeah. think you're right. They're normalizing oh, yeah. this trash. <laughs> Mm-hmm. sickos <laughs> but i i need to at disney on this stuff and say do you approve of this like but but, but yeah uh, greta is like again a no but like name one thing about her mm-hmm. outside of the fact that she likes bart there's nothing yeah. well i like her sneakers didn't you think those were cool i like it when simpsons characters are given very ostentatious pieces of clothing they really uh, <laughs> uh pop she's just a girl that likes Bart otherwise like yeah she's like or is jealous I mean I guess she is defined by being a woman who's jealous later on as all women are and they're <laughs> mean and vindictive and hurt hurt men for no reason mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah so when we come back Bart is getting ready for his little play date he's, he's dressed up in his cute little suit uh, and Homer says don't uh, his tips about women are don't give them nicknames like Jumbo and bo- or Boxcar and always get receipts makes you look like a business guy which I think that receipts one you know no 
not not bad. It, it does make you look kind of important. Or it makes you look cheap. Mm, uh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and then comes another rather dated joke of, did you know Arnold Schwarzenegger drives around in a Hummer, guys? Did you know this? <laughs> he, he's driving down the street in it in this giant, giant car. It's like it was the culture war car of the time, for Definitely, sure. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did some Arnold Humvee research because, mm. you know, uh, Maria will be in the Humvee. Yes. In, uh, the boy who knew too much. Then in Last Action Hero, there's a joke about the Humvee as well. He was associated with the Humvee because he was the first civilian in America to purchase a Humvee, and he got the manufacturer to make street-legal versions of the Humvee. So because of Arnold, the Humvee exists in America. Mm. And uh, so the Hummers that Schwarzenegger bought in 92 are so large, each weighs uh, 6,300 pounds and are seven feet wide, that they're classified as large trucks. Jesus. So U.S. fuel economy regulations do not apply to them because they're classified as <laughs> large trucks oh well okay <laughs> and when he ran for governor during the recall election in 2003 one of his campaign promises was to convert one of his humvees to run on hydrogen and he did oh well hey at least he fulfilled that okay and you know times change uh things fall out of fashion in may of 2010 humvees stopped being produced but you know the environment is doing great guys things mm. are things are going great mm. so in may of 2020 or just in 2020 rather we now have electric humvees really which Wow. Uh, pollute a lot less than traditional Humvees, but still pollute more than a regular sedan <laughs> powered by gas. So there you have it. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, this is why he's associated uh, with this car. That's so funny, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was the car you drove to piss people off with your wastefulness and just show it off, which I get. I guess it's not there. You can just vote for Donald Trump now. You don't have to like drive a Hummer if you want to piss off liberals. So it's a that's a cheaper thing to do. Just buy a MAGA hat, right? <laughs> I, I think I think Humvees were out of the range of even the most, uh, you know, in debt suburbanites. They would usually go for the huge SUVs. Oh, sure, sure. Though I guess now it's like the boat guys, really. Isn't that the like, it's mm. guys in the boats, the boaters for Trump. That's really where the Humvee fans went to. That's oh, true. Although so. you do, you do occasionally still see like viral posts of like guys who are, who have Hummers, who have like exhaust pipes that consciously like give out too much, too, too many fumes as a way of triggering the libs. Like, oh, the coal. Yeah. They're burning coal. Those coal yeah. burners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the Humvee is still used as a culture war symbol. Although, yeah, maybe a little less so than it was 30 years ago. You know, I feel like Tesla is the new like asshole car also like or just people show up but it's it's, it's in this like, weird gray zone it's like the white collar asshole yeah yeah or like uh, i remember me and you went to see dan Harmon do a podcast live and it was right after he had signed his gigantic hundred episodes of rick and morty deal and a lot of it was just him talking about having just bought a tesla and he's like yeah it's pretty great i just make it drive for me i just bought it i was like wow i, I we paid money to hear this guy talk about buying a tesla <laughs> that's why we went to this thing and we did he did some funny stuff later. The more drunk he got, uh, he was funnier. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was mo a, a good 20 minutes was hearing a guy talk about how he bought a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then Bart uh, is, uh, he gets the stern dad talk from uh, Wolf Castle in the, the car that gets one highway, zero city, meaning it can't even move in the city. That's uh, that's the joke. But I, it's okay. He's he's not scary enough, though. I don't know. the he, When he says, like, I'll rip off your face and use it as a, a handkerchief, it's like, eh, 
it's kind of lame the the zero city uh just means it gets less than a mile per gallon right in right, the city right. it can move <laughs> okay yeah and he tells bart laughing time is over uh <laughs> and then the the best hummer joke is that the gate doesn't open to his home he just drives over it impossibly <laughs> like it's a spider-man car just right climbs over his gate uh, and this is when we hear some hilarious jokes about the fancy, unattainable, for rich people only idea of a DVD. <laughs> These are props from one of my dad's movies, The Incredible Shrinking McBain. Wow, the Q-tip he used to kill Ross Perot. Oh, everything in your house is so cool. What's your house like? Oh, it's okay. My bed is stuffed with hay. You're so funny. <laughs> yeah. You haven't seen Itchy and Scratchy till you've seen it on DVD. Oh, my body! <laughs> Check out the audio commentary. We shot this at four in the morning and. The crew was getting a little cranky. You can never get enough takes for Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> Always wants more rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there weren't a lot of picture-in-picture -picture commentaries. I think Will will appreciate this. There was one for Mallrats, the Mallrats DVD, <laughs> and it was the only way you could see Ben Affleck do his very insulting Jeremy London acting impression, <laughs> where right. he bobs his head like a chicken. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure you know that I did watch the picture-in-picture -picture Mallrats commentary, obviously. Uh, I did one too, the, yeah. One of the all-time greats. One thing I like about it in this scene is that the DVD technology and, I guess, commentary tracks were still new enough that they had to communicate the idea. They were tr struggling with communicating the idea of what it was, so so they did the picture in picture thing. This is the second time they've done a gag like this, isn't it? Because there was one they did a few seasons earlier uh, where they they watch the postman with the commentary mm. and you see Kevin Costner in the in a square saying, I'm sorry, I'm just so sorry. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. that was also like picture in picture. It kind of yeah. slid in. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, these jokes about DVD commentaries are also funny because it was recorded. They wrote it when they were recording the first set of Simpsons DVD commentaries. So this is now the Simpsons DVDs informing how they write jokes in the show, uh, but having it be for the cartoon in the show as well. I mean, also too, like, oh, how rich she is. She has a DVD player and a widescreen television. Oh my God. Like, but 20 years ago, that was the, the sign of richness. Uh, also, all of the giant props around his place. Like, I like that there was an uh, somehow a McBain movie where he shrinks. Like, they they went to that crazy in the in the late nineties. But also, McBain uh, films. how how long ago was this Ross Perot joke written? Hmm. Yeah, that's true. You see, uh, it's, it's two thousand and two. Come on. Anytime there's a joke like that, it, uh, that's when I think like this was written for a ninety six critic episode that wasn't made. That <laughs> uh, you know what that joke about too many takes from Steven Soderbergh not exactly correct because. Because apparently I, IRL, Soderbergh is known for doing very few takes. It's how he produces so many films and sometimes releases like two films in a year because he he's very much in a uh, one or two takes kind of mm. guy. I guess they could have made a joke about Kubrick if he was still alive. Yeah, I guess he was dead. Who's the who's the guy who does too many takes now in movies? 
Uh, probably David Fincher, I think. He's very uh, much associated with that. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it sounds good. Or I guess Christopher Nolan, he probably does a lot of takes too, right? Seems like a very exacting guy. I guess Steven Soderbergh was the hot the hot new thing in 2001 then. Yeah, because the year before I, the year before this episode, he had done Aaron Brockovich and Traffic in the same year. And he got two Academy Award nominations for Best Director. And he actually won for Traffic, did not split the vote. So America was very high on Steven Soderbergh at the time oh yeah we just did an episode that was partially an aaron brockovich parody as well was it's kind of like aaron brockovich meets the insider was the Mm -hmm. the parody they did in sweets and sour marge but so okay i've said it before on here but i'll say it again this supports my bart is actually gay theory because greta keeps like getting next to him and letting her know like i am interested in you bart and Bart doesn't get it. He's like, why is this girl sitting next to me? Why, later, it's like, why is this girl holding my hand? I said it before that I, in the future, Bart and Ralph are like ex-lovers who just live together huh. in an apartment. I In that one future, I, I prefer the, the Bart is gay theory, of course. Hmm. I, uh, that may very well be true, but it may also be true that Bart simply doesn't have a lot of game, which, uh, mm-hmm. you true, know. True, true. <laughs> yeah, it's happened to the straight men all over the world of like, does this girl, why is this girl so weird? She wouldn't like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that does happen. <laughs> they host uh wolf castle and his daughter at their house too uh this is when uh well let, let's just hear the clip of mcbain comes to dinner i hope you enjoy these german sausages i've been grinding all day so i'm not sure what organ meat is in what intestinal casing bratwurst sour braten donderblitzen oh mom isn't there anything vegetarian ha <laughs> homer i see your daughter is one of those whale kissing dukakis hugging moon maidens <laughs> yeah one time she <gasps> oh she's looking at us be cool <laughs> What are you doing? Oh, I got you. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. (laughs) One, two, three. Hey, that was a fast count. Remember when I said I would eat you last? I lied. Commando, yes, we yeah. Have. That's such an old reference, yeah. man. Like, yeah, it's the the reference to the line. Sully, remember when I promised I'd to kill you last? I would kill you last. I lied. This, and this his is character's a, John Matrix in that, which is uh, again an insane name. Great name for him. Yeah. And this is a reference to uh, Shotzi. Everybody, you eat at Shotzi lately? Well, you can't. It closed in two thousand seven. Oh, okay. Shotzi was a restaurant he opened in ninety two. Schwarzenegger. Wow, I and didn't know this. It specialized in sausages, and unfortunately he handed it over to new management in 98 so Man. from 98 to 2007 ran by other people but because they're la pilled la writers they reference things that are only in la like they referenced that uh submarine restaurant dive right, uh, right. seasons ago and things <laughs> like that so yeah this is a reference to shotzi how do you like that yeah. man yeah this is deep schwarzenegger lore man i, I didn't know. know about shotzi <laughs> thank, thank you for finding that i i was so distracted just by the joke donder blitzen meaning that marge ground up i would guess elk or deer reindeer uh, yeah this is the first time uh, well, i suppose he had wolf castle had been on the republican committee group before but this is really the writers recognizing like, oh yeah arnold schwarzenegger's a republican this is the, the what the joke is recognizing here uh, you guys are greater experts probably in the later seasons than i to what extent has rainier wolf castle continued in this kind of like post schwarzenegger being very relevant post the new era of the republican party world he definitely runs for mayor late as a 
joke later yeah. uh, based on his be- running for governor they, too, they yeah. do a recall election episode yeah 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 it's, for uh, quimby yeah yeah it's uh, though it's weird he it's it's also like with their mike tyson character dredrick tatum that those characters have to age with the real icons but the simpsons don't age so it's like they're dredrick tatum they're mike tyson type he's now a retired boxer who has uh other businesses but it's like well marge is the same age as when he was uh he was a very dynamic and young fighter and mm-hmm. and, and same for for uh ramir wolf's ca- castle as well yeah that him calling her dukakis hugging that's that's a cute line at least but you know this the commando reference to it's that it's the dessert which you do eat last so he's picking up desserts and saying okay, oh, yeah. I'd say i'd eat you last because you're dessert though obviously the body he has he's not eating a lot of dessert that <laughs> uh, that wolf castle i'd say mm-hmm. but but yeah. maybe he's playing a fat secret agent again <laughs> but what a what a dated ass joke though man i just can't get over it i, I just well what what else can they reference end of days yeah yeah they can't they can't reference a new movie he's in because no one really cares they're not iconic i guess that their, their hands are tied there right what about in the uh the eraser your luggage huh? i that, don't remember that at all <laughs> he shoots uh, he shoots an alligator and says your luggage i mean clearly what they should have done at this point was create a new movie star character to replace essentially phase <laughs> out rainier wolfcastle and replace him with a new guy that's the benefit of hindsight talking i'm not sure who the new movie star character would have would have can't uh, off the top of my head remember kind of what what the archetype would have been in 2002 but that would have been the move i guess a clooney style or brad pitt style guy i guess mm-hmm. or well well like well like you said earlier will you know now the thing is you you cast somebody and then make them uh the, then the disney or warner or whoever hires the personal trainers to transform their bodies into arnold schwarzenegger you don't start with a bodybuilder and then make them an actor you start with an actor and then give them steroids and hgh until they look like arnold schwarzenegger slightly slimmed down you destroy kumail nanjiani yes yeah you, <laughs> you, you break give, him you give him body dysmorphia i he he was a funny stand-up now he's just a huge man i just don't understand why why they had to do that to him but uh, but yes you know speaking of dated jokes this was my favorite joke of the episode and i'm glad they do it twice i think millhouse should definitely be the type of person to in the year 2002 reference a 1999 budweiser commercial i think it's yeah it's perfect for him it reminds me of what uh chapo trap house's matt christman said uh pre-internet uh pre-everyone being on the internet the super bowl was where we got all of our memes for the year just yeah. like here are all the things you'll say to your friends for the rest <laughs> of the year and millhouse is still a few years behind do you remember that was up was a big scene in the scary movie the original one yes uh, right yeah 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 <laughs> oh, that's a, that's another scene in that movie that you know will kind of like how it's hard to read finnegan's wake without you know re- reading a, a comparable volume saying all the references and explaining everything like they, they should release scary movie with that <laughs> you if you didn't live it you can't understand yeah, it. we need liner notes <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but yes this is when millhouse happily becomes a third wheel Hi, Bart. What's up? Oh, you brought someone. Yeah, this is Milhouse. He's my best friend. Because, well, geographical convenience, really. (laughs) I'm wearing my bathing suit under my pants. Um, you want to go swimming? Okay, but you have to watch me dive. Fine. Do you promise? Just go. (laughs) (laughs) He'll sleep tonight. 
They just did that line. Yeah, they're on a real runner of heel <laughs> sleep tonight. So, yeah, in a half-decent proposal, it was where Artie Ziff's character was dancing very hard, and Wiggum looks at him with, like, heel sleep tonight. And also... In the uh, season 12 episode, Bye Bye Nerdy, uh, when the bully is beating up everybody, all the nerds at the science symposium, the parents say, <laughs> she'll sleep tonight. Like, I I guess this was just a thing going around. Maybe it's that more of the writers were becoming parents at this time. Mm, but could be. The animation of his hearty was up with his tongue wagging out and that he starts like up and then kind of leans over and like pulls his arms together. Like, I don't know. I love how bad it is and how hard millhouse goes on it that's why i tried to go at least close to as hard as millhouse does on the was up reference at the start of the episode he does it again yes yeah it's it's also it's a fun commentary because they got pamela hayden on there who voices millhouse so she doesn't have a ton of stories to tell but she's uh i i was glad to hear from her and hey we just heard recently from our uh our episode with mitch uh with mike mitchell uh who worked on the show that she is a very nice person who you know his his father passed away while they were working on the show uh, while he worked on the show and he says that every year on that day his uh pamela hayden calls him mm -hmm. and then checks in on him which is very nice so Sounds like she's a, a real great person. I, I do like that Bart just admits, like, yeah, I, Millhouse is just the nearest friend. Like, that's all he is to me. Like, a geographical convenience. That's it. We have a bit here that, eh, it's all right. I mean, McBain goes to Moe's. Like, they can't get much out of it. It's just, what if, okay, McBain comes in. What are the three jokes that Lenny, Carl, and Moe say to him? Like, that'll that'll cover 30 seconds or so. I, I do like Moe's vague uh, threats of violence. Yes, yeah. If I kill you, I become you. <laughs> I mean, the ab roller thing thing is okay with uh that lenny's using it backwards so his back is a perfectly sculpted body mm. we, we do get a very funny ugly mo front facing oh mo. my god his mo scream with his misshapen teeth that that's a shocking scene yes yeah they recognize the horror of front facing mo and i, I I'm, I'm for it <laughs> and uh you know that's tough with the uh his uh, authorized lookalike it reminds me of that, uh, you know, that theory, the uh, the conspiracy theory about Avril Lavigne, how she looks slightly different now and people are thinking that she got replaced <laughs> by her lookalike uh, about 10 years ago. So uh, it's not because she she aged as a human it's being? It's not that she aged or perhaps got any cosmetic surgery done. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's that she's she has been replaced by her lookalike. Look into it, folks. You know, it's a real rabbit hole to go down with Avril Lavigne. And isn't she also Canadian, Will? I look to you as... Uh... Uh, yes, in fact, she is. That, that was another thing that was a very big deal around the time of this episode, in fact. <laughs> How can you be named Avril Lavigne and not be Canadian? <laughs> mm. Homer and Wolfcastle, this is their second time hanging out. Again, they were gym buddies. Now they're uh, there. He's taking him to the bar, but obviously he learns he can't stay there too long. I would say, you know, these days, Mo, Mo and Macaulay Culkin looking closer and closer together. <laughs> oh, uh, he'll never be on our show. That's too be. I'm sorry. Macaulay's been through a lot. I don't want to be too mean. I think uh, from what I've seen, Macaulay Culkin looks about as well adjusted as he could possibly be given the horrible life that he's led yeah yeah he i just think... he just had a child with his partner brenda yeah. song they're doing <laughs> well now he seems like uh yeah he's he's surviving as best as possible from what he's certainly through. a bit of an eccentric i mean his pizza themed band of a few years ago was a little strange yeah. but uh i think uh, i think he's trying you know it's too bad in this episode they couldn't go to the toronto themed garfield pizza restaurant uh, in toronto's garfield pizza oh restaurant. yeah i mean if if outside listeners don't know we did in toronto for a couple of years there and kind of like 2018 2019 have in the neighborhood of Bloordale an officially licensed garfield themed pizza restaurant 
it was called Garfield Eats, and their their big gimmick was that they served personal pan pizzas in the shape of Garfield's head. They had like a, like a, whatever whatever they used to craft them. You know, they could shape it like that. Which I mean, intuitively, I, I think the circle has always worked for a pizza. But I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. never I never actually ate there. Anyway, it was another victim of the pandemic. Oh, it's one of those eateries that's now only in Dubai, and even then, it's sort of like a speakeasy. You have to knock on the right door. <laughs> I, I do think it was actually the labor of love of like a local eccentric Toronto businessman, a, a guy in his in his twenties who was a real striver and was very proud. There are many interviews with him that you can read. He was very proud to have been the first person to get Jim Davis to trust him with his creation for an officially licensed restaurant so you know you only have to climb everest once that's what i say <laughs> you know i i bet it was that was like he's the last guy who could get that because davis then sold garfield to nickelodeon and or viacom so since then how he gets viacom unlike you know jim davis if you he's just one man and you could convince him to like hey do this garfield thing trust me and jim davis can either give his consent or not but viacom there there's no talk you can't talk to a person at viacom to make a deal and that devastated indiana's economy that choice <laughs> it's true i mean jim davis was always very careful about the ways that he would license the garfield character you know only you know uh, products had to be of only the highest quality <laughs> uh so then uh, we get a quick again very la joke about going to a lakers game courtside seat at the lakers that's what the gag is but you know will I, i'm just asking you all these toronto questions but what who would be the courtside celebs at a raptors game would it i mean drake i would guess uh, yeah be drake without a doubt drake i mean uh when when the raptors were in the uh what would you call them the playoffs uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this shows how sure. little i know about basketball but a couple of years ago when the raptors won the the world series is that what they call it <laughs> sure. uh uh, uh, Drake was very much front and center. He, uh, he was impossible to avoid. And uh, by the way, just just uh, foreshadowing ahead to their joke about basketball at the end of this episode, Canada's alleged failure at basketball. I mean, when the Raptors actually won a few years ago, there was this enormous outpouring of just excitement in the city there were something like over a million people in the streets of downtown toronto in this just giant impromptu street festival and what that really is is deferred toronto maple leafs energy you know the the, <laughs> the leafs haven't won the stanley cup since 1967 or 68 and i i really did feel that day it was like like it was that it was the pent-up wanting from that that came out well you know our team just won and it was nothing to us because they it's like the they're fifth in a decade so it's the warriors who cares mm -hmm. but the joke that homer okay so homer is hanging out in the front row and then we have a very very lame joke you know i'll just play the clip here these courtside seats are great thanks for the hookup wolfie i just want my daughter to be happy plus you eat the pretzels i drop on the floor that i do sir bart my school's having a dance it's it's pretty lame, but maybe you could make it fun if we went together. Yeah, I guess. Defense! 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 Yeah! Ouch! I said on something sharp! Oh, that's just Lara Flynn Boyle. <laughs> I have a boil on my ass. There you go. <laughs> 
I mean, you were complaining that all the Arnold Schwarzenegger jokes were dated, but Alara Flynn Boyle satire was quite up to the moment at the time. I mean, (laughs) if you if you ever uh, picked up an an issue of Entertainment Weekly at the time and were reading like that that column of like the hit list, there was like twenty jokes about things that were in the media. Uh, Alara Flynn Boyle was always on there, and it was an always a kind of like get a load of this anorexic bitch type <laughs> joke about her uh, you know i bet it was a choice between that and callista flockhart like lara mm-hmm. callista lara callista ah let's go with her you know well she's less powerful and not on the same network as them you know callista was very, but wait yeah all of these body mocking jokes though also the the extra level to it is that jack nicholson to actually by the time this aired they were broken up but he did he was dating lara flynn boyle Aww. so she was often seen courtside oh. at lakers games so that's why you homer actually would have access to sit on her and cut himself just uh, for the joke what a power joke. couple yes yes she she had to I, I don't know if jack still goes to as many lakers games up front as he used to but well very telling that the simpsons makes fun of her and not jack nicholson's uh, wretched mm. body around this time <laughs> hey he's friends with james l brooks yeah he's james <laughs> l brooks off. buddy yeah oh maybe maybe james if if they were in fact broken up at the time maybe that was a direct order from james l brooks of like mm. guys you gotta get back at her <laughs> she broke my friend Jack's heart. You know, we yeah. all know Jack. Yeah, I just call him that. We know who I'm talking about. He's just a sweet man, you know, a, a poor brokenhearted soul who only wanted to believe in love. Uh, uh, this just in in our Star Snoop segment. Oh. Uh, apparently, Jack Nicholson stole Alara Flynn Boyle from David Spade because women are property. You can steal them wow. from another man. Wow. There you have it. How do you like that? Man. She's making poor choices. I do remember hearing an interview with David Spade on that subject, and he said words to the effect of, yeah, you know, he came in and swooped in, and what are you going to do? It's like, he's he's more talented than me, he's more famous, he's richer, you know. Uh, it se- seemed very, seemed to have a lot of di- uh, grace and dignity in his defeat. <laughs> you know, look, Larry Flynn Boyle, she can date who she wants, of I, course. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, Jack Nicholson, he went bald gracefully, David Spade living a lie since like 1994, right? think uh that's uh so okay so bart agrees to go to uh, a dance but doesn't understand what he was agreeing to and this is when he learns that uh, skinner plans to go to do an open mic night which is just too much for bart to pass up he's got to do it uh this is when uh he decides he's going to prank skinner at it and the millhouse will go with him which i feel like greta should hold against bart later on instead but uh but yes it's uh why don't we go over to floppy and the night of stand-up. Maybe I should keep my promise. I just hope the audience is kind because my material is weak and uh, and I have that bladder thing. That's it. <laughs> I'm blowing off the dance. This is the biggest thing that's happened to me since chocolate milk. They've got chocolate milk now? That was a prop comedy of the sea captain. More like thar he blows. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right, let's keep this train wreck moving. Principal Skinner, I know him. He's not funny. Well, enjoy. <clears throat> so it's uh, standardized testing time again. Have you ever noticed how the dumb kids fill in the wrong circles? Seymour, Seymour. Lost my place. <clears throat> maybe, 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 maybe a little uh, improv <laughs> would raise the roof here. Would someone name a profession? Loser principal! Uh, I think I heard California surfer. 
You suck, Seymour. Uh, the the best part of that is his very. Uh, it's very natural. It's like maybe 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 maybe, maybe. like yeah. That that was really good. Stupid stammering. Uh, uh, a little late for a Seinfeld parody, but whatever. Yeah, 2002. Not not yeah. the most timely time for a stand. And and they have so much confidence in it. They come back to it at the end of the episode too. <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's a bit in here with uh, the sea captain as a prop comic, and I just wanted to raise the question of has the sea captain had a full episode devoted to him yet, or has he been allowed to remain a, per, a sort of peripheral gag character? Hmm. You know, I can't recall. Maybe he got a B story, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't uh, think so. I mean, there's there's a, quite a few years that I missed mm-hmm, uh, but that I'm catching up on. I don't, I don't think he's had his own like fully devoted story yet. He's uh, he honestly the most he appeared probably was in his first episode uh in his lawsuit battle with homer over the all you can eat restaurant what, was that <laughs> you kid on the block yes okay, yeah same yeah. episode yeah. and by the way your name is laura powers delete your comment i know yes. you left it thank you bob <laughs> i like that his uh terrible prop comedy too is just you know like oh it's a toilet paper roll on a on a uh swordfish, swordfish. isn't that funny uh, it's I also, uh, my favorite line in that right beforehand is when Skinner know, seemingly knows that Bart is listening and he gives Lou, uh, he gives Willie directions based on leaving the Simpsons house. Yeah. Like, hey, here's how you get there from the Simpsons house. Also, did you notice in the audience there, Smithers is seemingly there on a date with some guy. It's, oh, uh, I missed that. Totally. Yeah. In the audience, like Dr. Nick Riviera is there with a blonde woman and uh, sitting with Smithers is just a, a dude, just some guy uh, a random guy so good good uh, uh good for smithers i'd also like to point out that crusty the clown is the mc at this sort of open mic event and he's another one like rainier wolf castle where there's some ambiguity as to <laughs> how famous and what what level like is he there's times when he's sort of a global celebrity there are times when he's hosting an open mic night in mm-hmm. uh springfield like he, he can either be jerry lewis or jay leno or <laughs> just a, a local comic depending on what he needs to be yeah he's uh it seemed it does seem a little small time for crusty the only my only guess there is uh obviously this was not their intent but the name of the place is floppies let's say that that's named after floppy shoes and that crusty owns the place hmm. and that that's why he's hosting it i like that head cannon yeah I'm that's into it i'm just making that up but i, I like that but uh, i'm also surprised they resisted skinner actually peeing his pants they say he has the bladder thing but he's not actually pee his pants there but yes that he thinks that improv is going to fix things is is also very good i like <laughs> that too he it uh opened my nights for this a uh, few months where i tried to like hey i'll take some comedy classes i should learn some stand-up comedy uh i mean i wasn't good and neither was anybody else in my group and having to sit through to ye- get your five minutes of stage time you had to sit through an hour of other people who also weren't very good mm. that was the greatest torture of it all that really was why uh, i think that's why people who can make it through that that's the proof of their like tenacity that they can have to listen to that much bad at stand-up all of the time I prefer mm-hmm. to not see the audience and then do live shows where people are there because they like us already because I'm yeah. a coward yes. about yeah. performing. That's a smart way to do it. You you only have your fans there. No no people yeah. who didn't pay. You guys should get up in front of some random open mic night and turn it into a live talking Simpsons recording where you just like talk about some season 14 episode to the <laughs> bewildered patrons. Well, we did uh, used to perform in the bar area of a, uh, a place in San Francisco and uh, before we went to the theater area they have and people would just come in to like eat dinner yes, and we'd be yeah. doing our live show and there'd just be like an old couple there for their like 50th anniversary cutting up <laughs> yes. a steak. Yes. Yeah. The, I remember that one uh, older 
woman who just sat in front of our projector that was showing our clips and i was like what wait, uh I, I was trying to wordlessly gesture to her like don't sit in front of that people are looking it was mainly our the people there were there to see us but because it was an open area someone could just sit at a table where a projector is and like no we can sit here this is a <laughs> table that's where i can sit down uh but uh but yeah so bart flakes on the date i like the unnatural silliness of this so of course it makes lisa into a nagging wife for the scene to work but like complete with her hair and curlers yes bart with his, his jacket over his shoulder lisa with hair and curlers telling bart that uh you're you know your date called you lied to her but i do like bart's you know very natural stance of i only lied because it was the easiest way to get what i wanted like you know it makes sense <laughs> but it's kind of funny the way bart realizes and flashes back on all this stuff the scrabble joke of him spelling oblivious that's okay but clearly bart has gotten better at scrabble since he had to make up quidjibo then he could spell out oblivious very very smart it's a pretty but, like uh, complex word for a 10 year old <laughs> it has to have used all of his letters too i would think bart saying that he kept it all light and breezy that was uh, john frank saying that uh, keeping things light and breezy not too committed uh, yes then bart uh, is told he decides he's gonna break up with her and he does it at phineas q butterfats the return of the thing we just talked about its first appearance yes of. go to our lisa's pony episode we discussed the origins of that and what mm -hmm. it's based on but uh, but here it's a scene of a breakup hey i didn't lead her on I always played it light and breezy. Well, if you don't feel the way Greta does, you've got to tell her before she gets hurt. All right, I know what to do. I'll dump her like she's never been dumped before. Then we'll go right back to being friends. Well, Bart, you really understand women. Lise, women are easy. State capitals are hard. <laughs> and where were you? Cockfight. <laughs> You're breaking up with me? Oh! Don't worry, we get that a lot here. <laughs> Lou, you can't leave the force. I can change. I just think there's more money in private security. What I'm hearing is, I'm too fat. <laughs> Aren't I? <laughs> You know, it really shows you how invested they are in uh, developing Greta as a character when um, she has nothing more to say than, you're breaking up with me? Yes. And then they cut to a much longer exchange between Lou and Wiggum. <laughs> and she just sobs and sobs. That's all there yeah. is for Greta to do. Yeah. yeah there's no reasoning. There's no her going like, well, you know, when you break up a woman, they don't say anything. They just cry and have nothing else to say. That's that's women for you. <laughs> but uh, I, so my, my favorite bit in that is just the fist. Like, Wiggum has his, the spoon in a fist upside down and just like kind of like sh this shoveling motion on the uh, all the scoops of ice cream into his mouth is it's uh, very well done it's very economical he gets those he's, uh, whole thing in his mouth and like forced uh, arm movement and he's licking that bowl clean mm -hmm. yeah it's a good I, thing he didn't order a mount bellyache <laughs> the 88 dollar sunday uh, yeah yeah it's uh though i guess you know what the pity party worked on lou that lou is still with him in the next episodes and still still on the force so i guess he uh he was able to t talk him into staying uh, yeah they they say that Reese uh, mentioned that 
filming Legally Blonde is where she got more experience in crying. So that's why she was so good at crying hmm. in the sequence here. I mean, why did Bart break up with her? Like she, like also just say you're not interested in her. Why do you have to say like breaking up? Like it, she, you weren't dating. Yeah, like, I was like, were they ever officially a couple? Did yeah. I miss that beat? I, I don't <laughs> understand it really. Yeah. <laughs> also another commentary thing I liked, Matt Selman, because Matt Groening's not there. He dunks on Matt Groening because he's like, ooh, Matt Groening would like all those tears when he sees the tears coming out of her yeah. eyes. Matt Groening says uh, one tear is enough, otherwise mm. they'll mess it up. And when Groening's not in the room, they are are dumping on him for his la- for his his many rules. Uh, so we come back from the break, and this feels like Rainier Wolfcastle is put, pitching a funnier episode where he hunts down Bart for revenge for breaking his <laughs> little girl's heart. But they just say like, no, no, that that's what this isn't a movie, Dad. And so he's like, oh yeah, I guess we can't do something that silly. Let my Inst- instead, it turns into this very lame uh love triangle thing with bill house which i think really kind of uh, deflates the potential of the episode and i guess yeah. we, we never really hear why greta went for Millhouse. Mm-hmm. yeah i i feel like it's just the simple writing up to hurt bart like i think yeah. they just wrote it as a girl who hurts hey pamela hayden the only woman in the room asked like on the commentary so does greta like Millhouse or what and they're like uh maybe sure yeah but why would she bill their only interaction with Millhouse in the show is him being the rudest house guest he can possibly <laughs> be but uh but yes this is when Millhouse gets her on the rebound <laughs> greta i'm sorry i didn't handle the breakup well but you're a sweet kid and someday you'll find someone who what's up Millhouse? Greta? Well, no one has to draw me a picture. Oh, but I did. (gasps) Greta, is this how it is? Yes, except he kissed me in the eye. Oh, I was an idiot. Now I'll be alone forever. Why did I break up with her? Oh, Bart, it's human nature. You only want her because someone else has her. Prove it. Using examples from this room. All right, look, Maggie's not playing with this ball right now, but look what happens when I take it. See? Give me the ball, give me the ball. This is a little similar to how Lisa proves that there's a rock that makes tigers stay away in the uh, in the the bear tax episode. She's good at visual metaphors. She is, yeah. It's uh, also I like that Maggie's playing with a bongo, the rabbit doll, with a one ear uh, on him. Yeah, I mean Millhouse is jumping to the scene with the was up. That's great, and that he kissed her on the eyeball. That's also great. Yeah, this uh, this bit of Bart stalking her. It's uh, at least a the drawing of him standing behind a trash can, then getting a uh, caricature drawn of him. That's kind of funny mm-hmm. like and they that. work in a licensed song yes uh, yeah she used to be my girl for about 10 seconds mm-hmm. the ojs get their pay the ojs are most famous for the song love train you know people of the world join in all right formal uh used to be my girl when they're lower well but it hey it worked out uh, they got a little payday there or at least their record label did but yeah bart bart is stalking them and then bart then makes a phone call and this is when he learns that they're heading to toronto toronto and this is where Toronto. Toronto. There you go. Toronto. You got it. Okay. This also is where Millhouse is playing with a Barbie in the background. There's a lot of feminization of Millhouse in this, uh, down to like a, like honestly kind of mean joke at the end of it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this old stuff.
enough about filming in Toronto. So, I, like, I don't get the feel. I do. I look this up and try to see, like, okay, recent films filmed there, and it doesn't seem like it happens as much in the last five years compared to Vancouver, or British Columbia. I, I don't know. Well, what's you? Does it feel like movies get filmed there as much now? Well, I can give you some insight about some more of the movies that were filmed at around the time that this episode came out. Such films as X Men, Death to Smoochie. A big one was <laughs> was Driven with Sylvester Stallone. That one uh, took place at our racetrack. Uh, My wow. Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Boondock Saints, uh, as well as such quintessentially Chicago movies as Blues Brothers 2000. And yes, <laughs> yes, Chicago was filmed in Toronto wow. as well. They're making uh, all the hits there. I mean, Exit Wounds is kind of my favorite of this period. You get to see Steven Seagal at the St. Lawrence Market or in front of Roy Thompson Hall. Those are th- those are big Toronto representation moments in cinema for us. But as for more recently, I mean, some movies have shot in the city. I, 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 I remember Pixels with Adam Sandler was a big one, uh, as was Suicide Squad. That was all over mm. the city. Uh, I remember going out, uh, just walking over to one Young Street one night and seeing the Joker mobile go up and down the block a few times. <laughs> I, I'm told the Batmobile came out a little bit later that night, but I didn't stay for that. But no, I mean, there, there were certain tax incentives at the time that made filming in Toronto very attractive. And I mean, Canada still has those tax incentives, but SARS hit our city very big in, I think, uh, 2002, 2003. SARS was this, this, this sort of like deadly plague I think it only hit like I think I think only a couple dozen people actually got it, but it was this you know it, it caused a panic in the city comparable to what COVID would cause much later. But I think it was a much more deadly disease. Anyway, mm-hmm. the the SARS panic only lasted maybe about six months in Toronto, but it really uh, I think it really killed our film industry for a while. <laughs> you know, it must burn you up as a Jackie Chan super fan that Rumble in the Bronx was filmed in Vancouver, not Toronto. You know that's true but he he did film the tuxedo in toronto you can see him on <laughs> on our city hall and in fact uh while filming I, I i believe he developed such an affection for toronto that uh, as a way to get us out of our sars slump he came and did some sort of concert here in toronto and he got the key to the city i don't know hmm. what the concert was i think uh, i just remember seeing a news report on it at the time so jackie chan i consider him a friend of toronto I don't know if he would. I don't know if he would consider himself a friend of Toronto, but yeah, he was there for us in our hour of need. And uh, Will, I I feel like you probably haven't, but did you see the recent Pixar film Turning Red, which is set in 2003 Toronto? I, I didn't, but I should. At, just as a connoisseur, as a fan of Toronto set movies, I mean, when I think of Hollywood movies that are actually set in Toronto and not just filmed here, it's kind of that and Scott Pilgrim versus the World are mm. are, are the two examples that come to mind which also has a plot line about filming a movie there an american Mm. film there yeah (laughs) yeah scott pilgrim versus the world was a huge movie for any of us who were like 20 years old when it came out and looked exactly like michael Sarah, and we're (laughs) we're, we're in the same neighborhoods as that movie was shot finally representation yeah you know movies now i'm just uh it's really just atlanta to me is the most distracting thing of like that everything is in atlanta like i felt like a fool when i listened to the commentary for the film black panther because they say like oh you know there's a big they wanted it to have this james bond 
bond kind of feel in some scenes so they go to you know seoul korea for for part of it and then they go down you know this uh this classic seoul street fair uh street market to buy stuff and on the commentary they're just going like yeah this is just like a parking lot in, in atlanta this is mm. over there and it's, i was like wow is everything fucking atlanta like well, they just uh we, we brought up uh, kevin smith before uh didn't he have to recreate uh the quick stop and rst video in atlanta they, they like rebuild no, in, it in louisiana oh, louisiana it was, in, it was new orleans yeah okay. because the, the it was he, he there were no but he got no benefits from filming in new jersey and it was literally cheaper uh, tax breaks to film in new orleans and build the quick stop there than film in new jersey yes mm-hmm. <laughs> well also speaking of guy like kevin smith he is a sicko for canada he loves canada that's he, right he did two episodes of fucking degrassi the next generation uh his love of canada director so, of yoga hosers Ugh. yeah i mean his his love for canada you you do hear about it but as a canadian i just want to say that yoga hosers is a very offensive movie to all of us in canada <laughs> it, like all all of the aboot all that shit all the canadian stereotypes i mean i mean listen that's one that kind of crosses the line for me into like how how dare you sir he didn't even film it in canada like like oh, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do all that if you're gonna do all that like hoser shit you better come here and film it and employ our talent that's what i say yeah. that's just like that actually is cultural appropriation if you ask me <laughs> why hire a canadian we can hire uh, johnny depp's child or your own i'm just on top of the fact that yoga hoser is obviously you know possibly the worst movie ever made <laughs> oh boy one of these days uh, but uh but yes now it's time for the simpsons to finally go to canada in a very uh certainly fulfilling the canadian sequence uh here's here's the first clip leave a message at the beep but don't be a message monster hogging on my tape uh greta it's me i think you left your pencil over at my house and he's there now isn't he i knew it you're there just hear me out. Bert, forget it. I'm leaving in 10 minutes. My dad's shooting a movie in Toronto. <gasps> You're going to Spain? Goodbye, Bart. So to win Greta back, I have to go to Toronto. Canada? Why should we leave America to visit America Junior? This is for love, Dad. Someday you'll feel what I feel. It's only fair. We went to Europe when we saw Astra Balloon. Maggie, <laughs> what do you think? All right. We'll all go first class. It's on first class bus. That's the but I feel like Maggie with her little Canada flag that was made for commercials, like just yeah. to, to share <laughs> only in Canada. But I like that there was a crappier episode that we didn't see where they go to Europe chasing after a balloon for Lisa. Like that just <laughs> happened happened off screen. But yeah, I have to think for a uh, Canadian viewer that the very first joke about arriving in Canada is that off the bu- bus comes a Mountie, a hockey player, and Sasquatch. That <laughs> feels feels pretty uh, broad up front there with the canadian jokes that's true although i did enjoy that the bus station was the birthplace of paul schaefer i thought that was a funny joke and also uh just as a canadian i do i do think it speaks to our uh, knowledge of who all the canadian celebrities are uh you know i saw he grew up in fort william that's uh, born in toronto uh grew up in fort william that's at least according to wikipedia if you ever find yourself in toronto you should come down to king street and see the canadian walk of fame and you can pay your tribute you can 
you can pay tribute to you know howie mandel and some of our other great canadians you know uh they make a lot of jokes about how uh boring and clean canada is but you know 20 years later we americans were craving that stability mm-hmm. you know and as a, as a future canadian resident i i do uh speak of the virtues of canada and canadians tell me you know it's not perfect and i agree it's not perfect but that's like if someone is drinking out of the toilet and you're drinking a glass of tap water and you're saying this tap water could be better but i'm drinking out of the toilet <laughs> i will say that if that's indeed, my stance. if indeed canada is clean compared to the united states i think that speaks to our infrastructure and, and the quality of it yeah i mean as soon as i get back uh, to america i i am like marge as the policewoman looking around and seeing everything that's wrong <laughs> that horse does not have a diaper and just how uh, filthy everything is yeah that clean and bland thing that is how i felt when i first visited vancouver and i was like wow this is just nice so i can take the train straight from the airport and then like two blocks from my uh airbnb and then airbnb just very nice and friendly and i took a walk every morning and it was cherry blossom season in vancouver that week and it was oh man what a beautiful time it was there bob but yes uh here here is a smattering of canada jokes and also because the writers of this grew up in the 80s or early late 70s one of their favorites had to be SETV and uh, their most Canadian of characters it's so clean and bland I'm home wow this bus station is the birthplace of Paul Schaefer dad no it says don't walk doesn't matter they have free health care I'm rich I'm a 10-year-old boy in Toronto. I should be the happiest kid in the world. <laughs> but I can't stop thinking about Greta. Oh, you'll win her back, eh? And B, we're closing in five minutes. Would a U.S. dollar change your mind? American currency. What time would you like your breakfast, sir? Over there, you can see them shooting the film Canadian Graffiti. Oh, I see a drive on the left up here. No, ma'am. I'm drunk. There it is, Wolf Castle's movie set. That is just a checklist. Yep, yeah. You hear it all in one clip. You're like, oh, there's every Canada joke right there. You got him. And I was thinking, you know, if they're going to pile on the needless cameos, why not get Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis to be, uh, you yeah. know, their characters? I, I was also thinking, you know, Rick Moranis, he was out of acting. But no, they basically played those characters in Brother Bear. Yeah, which came out the same year. Or no, uh, 2003. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Probably if the episode had actually been conceived as a Simpsons go to Canada episode, uh, the way that it was marked here in Canada that would have been something they would do but clearly not a lot of thought was really put into how best to take advantage of the Canadian milieu uh, by the way I'll just say uh, reminiscing about how this episode was received the movie's very inaccurate depiction of the Sky Dome and the CN Tower was widely noted on the schoolyard afterwards oh uh, so I mean what's what's the big uh, misconceptions here the the Sky Dome and the CN just not that's not what the viewing uh, area looks like in the CN Tower? Uh, the buildings themselves look completely different. Also, the two <laughs> buildings are next to each other in Toronto. They're not in different areas. So oh. there was there was much uh, consternation on the schoolyard about, you know, we'd all been hyped for this Simpsons Go to Toronto episode, and they couldn't even get our two most famous landmarks <laughs> looking the way they should. I have similar problems because if you play the Mario Kart mobile game, all of the tracks are like Mushroom Kingdom uh, areas, like, you know, Koopa Beach and Rainbow Road, but they 
they have a Vancouver track mm. and the geography is wildly different than it is in real life. <laughs> uh, that said, I mean, maybe there is something to the idea that the uh, Springfield's own geography is so unstable that why shouldn't Toronto's also be in this world? <laughs> Uh, you know, the CN Tower, I only know is a Toronto landmark because it was a, a plot point in the new season of Kids in the Hall, which mm-hmm. uh, I, right. I greatly enjoyed. That new season was really good. It, it was great. I hope you know that the CN Tower was at one point the tallest building in the world, and then it became the tallest freestanding building in the world. And the last time I went there was in 2017, which is also the second time in my life I've been there. You go <laughs> you go once every 20 years when you're a Canadian. And and uh, I noticed that on the wall they had like a list of some of its achievements, and you know, it, like it was it was a building that was built to be the tallest building in the world, and uh, that's the kind of country that we are. We are building things <laughs> that that it will give us a shortcut into being world class. Uh, so, so it, you know, it's, it's basically a non-functional building. It's just a building that exists for the sake of it. And there's a restaurant up there, but, uh, <laughs> the, anyway, the plaque on the wall said, you know, this year to this year, tallest building in the world, this year to this year, tallest freestanding building in the world. And then it was like, you know, 20, whatever to present, uh, world's tallest wine cellar. And I think at that <laughs> point, I think at that point, when you get world's tallest wine cellar, it's, it's okay to just give up on trying to impress me anymore you know <laughs> i mean by, by virtue of the actual term a wine cellar should be underground mm. well the, violating... uh, ah, that's the thing though that's the Uh-oh. thing they they have the world's tallest uh the world's <laughs> highest uh wine cellar so uh anyway i i am still impressed by the building it is a very tall building and i think uh, if it's if it doesn't beat some of the buildings in dubai i think it can still happily rest on its laurels <laughs> comfortably being easily the tallest building in the downtown downtown cityscape okay do you guys still just call it the sky dome or do you call it the rogers center oh gosh i mean this is a bit of a generational thing i think uh, i think rogers center has pretty much taken over certainly it's taken over in any media discussion of it i think to call it the sky dome makes you sound like you're clinging on to something from the past so uh, I just I just try to avoid talking about it in general. <laughs> but if you were to give somebody directions of like, oh, just take a left at the Rogers Center, or you would say that and not the Sky Dome. I, I think at this point I might say Rogers Center and it pains me. Uh. See, the Sky Dome, I only know it as this magical setting of WrestleMania 6 when I was growing up because that's where, wow, WrestleMania 6, it looks so cool in the Sky Dome. It's where uh, Hulk Hogan battled the Ultimate Warrior and all that. I hear about the Sky Dome, the Sky Dome. So then when I find out that it's now the Rogers Center, it's just like depressing to me. Sky Dome is such a cool word or name, you know? Yeah, we can't say Staples Center anymore. Yeah, it's not even that. It's the Crypto.com Arena. I think, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I also just uh, want to say that the Rogers company bought that place for pennies on the dollar i mean they got an incredibly good deal from the city on that billions of dollars of taxpayer money went to build that place and it just got sold for for a pittance and then on top of that they just brand their own wretched name on it yeah yeah the rogers center i don't like calling it the rogers center but at this point the war has been lost you know i hope uh, you can't talk too bad about it because we're depending on rogers for your internet right now to hold out on this this street <laughs> yeah it hasn't hasn't been that reliable has it yeah <laughs> 
Uh, and yes, we have a joke about people who assume that you drive on the wrong side of the road in Canada, which they're the opposite from America's side of the road, but you don't. You don't. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, the guy's just drunk. Where were the jokes about milk in bags, though? That's what I wanted to hear. I got I got roasted in Vancouver when I said I thought there were milk in bags there, and then people are like, no, not in BC. I got roasted. I've for never seen any bagged milk. Yeah. Uh, we do have bagged milk here in Ontario, but I do also want to say that most grocery stores have carton options if you're not comfortable manipulating the bag of milk. <laughs> uh, but so this is when uh, Canada joke time's over. It's now just onto a set of a silly, silly nerd movie, uh, which feels like a sequel to their joke from Krusty Gets Cancelled, where help my son is a nerd. Yeah, where... <laughs> this feels like the comedic sequel to that serious drama. Yes. It's yeah. not the comedy. <laughs> but but this is where I feel like they lose the reality of it, because Bart's watching them film a scene, but then Melvin Eugene Punemeyer does throw a man into another man, and it works like it would in a movie, like the special effect is in front of them. I was like, I we're losing the reality of the film we're watching filmed here. Also, yeah, and also this is uh, a bit dated, because they're kind of parroting, like, maybe 80s early 90s movies the the teen movies are like american pie and van wilder and things Mm -hmm. like that this is not the kind of like wacky boob comedies they make in 2002 yeah they were they were more on to things the previous episode or two episodes earlier in jaws wired shut where they see soccer mummy where it is like a boner jokes in it you know that is much more accurate for late 90s comedy than this undercover nerd joke but i do like that the bullies say uh just more of you to pick on like they're not scared at all of a giant nerd and they're going to to pick on a giant nerd Mm -hmm. but uh but but yes millhouse prevents bart from confronting her homer also just passes out uh while talking to bart which is not a good sign for his health that he they can't stay conscious but um millhouse then uh is trying to get over a new catchphrase he has about calling himself the house she's with the house now they wanted to use that more internally within the show but millhouse rarely wins so (laughs) it never caught on i also like that millhouse says you know my therapist tells me this is the best i'm gonna do is that a girl dates me to hurt a friend so uh (laughs) is that dr sally waxler oh yeah yeah i guess it has to be (laughs) bart and millhouse fight they even play the same music from their fight that was used in bart's friends falls in love which is a parody of the star trek battle music for of uh, spock and kirk fighting this is where millhouse gets in a couple couple little more canada lines like calling bart a hoser and saying you know i'll kick you over to the next province you know all all the classic uh, canadianisms uh and then they uh, bu- stumble into curling for loonies a very canadian joke as well so you get curling and loonies back to back here yeah and it's a parody of uh, bowling for dogs so i looked into this because i've heard jokes about a game show called bowling for dollars and i'm like what is this you know how there were like regional bozos the bozo the clown shows this was a like a regional licensed game show many local markets had their own bowling for dollars and because i just listened to the uh steven e d'souza commentary track for street fighter the movie (laughs) i learned that that was one of his first roles in tv was working for a local edition of bowling for dollars that's amazing yeah that is amazing (laughs) maybe there was like a brief revival but this is like before Mm. all of our time I remember Comedy Central had like their own version of like a bowling comedy show they did yeah that felt like a parody of it it was called let's bowl and it had a lot of like maybe like a handful of former mystery science theater people associated right, with it that's why i watched yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like americans just had recently discovered curling like they were because like the salt lake city winter olympics had some curling on it and people were like oh this is actually uh, c- compelling to watch though you know on my one trip to vancouver this year i uh, you know i was a little sad i realized i went cashless the whole time and was just using a card everywhere 
didn't need to do any exchange stuff but so i didn't even come back with a single loony or a toonie i didn't have any canadian money i can hook you up <laughs> you've you've got that stuff i smuggled around. it across the border yeah <laughs> now your your uh, your wife's friend uh, ian was joking like ah, i just bought something i'd uh, i'd had some two loonies in my pocket i'd have just given you one just to keep but so i i still have yet to touch a loony or a toonie uh, i i have touched many in my day uh <laughs> it's it's boring to you now yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah i guess so it's like again imagine us on the schoolyard seventh grade little 12 year old veterans of canada being fed a joke about curling as if we had never heard of curling before <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know we were, again we were very disappointed but i am in my old age and wisdom looking at the episode in this segment with a more generous spirit now <laughs> I, I wish march was around i think march would enjoy this sport because it involves a little broom it's yeah. like it's cleaning and it's a sport i think she would enjoy that <laughs> the fight is broken up by greta and this is when she confronts both of the boys well we've seen some wild sweeping here today yes the broom handling has been truly dazzling What's this? Two young Yankee doodles have turned this match into a dandy. Ha 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 ha. Both our viewers must be thrilled. <laughs> Greta, I miss you so much. Please be my girlfriend again. No. Yes! The house always wins! Sorry, Millhouse. I thought Canada would save our relationship. But it only made it worse. You're breaking up with me? Why? I guess I was just looking for someone more... masculine. I told you! I don't know how that scrunchie got in my hair! Sorry, guys. But you two have put me off dating for at least four years. I think I'll just buckle down and co-produce my dad's movies. Need a unit production manager? It's too late, Bart. I don't you like know, Bart making that noise. Yeah, um, you know, they make these jokes about nepotism, but a lot of these writers, their kids would later go on to, like, write for the show yeah, and, yeah. and co-produce things. Uh, they all write for the show yeah. now. Multiple writers have had their children write for the show. That's how a lot of young people start writing for The Simpsons. Or, also in the case of Greg Daniels, like a former Simpsons writer, go on to uh, co-create King of the Hill, the U.S. version of The Office. Like, he's produced multiple uh, reality shows with his daughter. Like, that's just, uh, you know, this is probably one of the last times that they'd be able to make this joke before they built their own glass house of nepotism <laughs> around themselves, the, the <laughs> Simpsons creators. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and yeah, I mean, the Catherine Schwarzenegger did do, she worked a little on her family stuff, but she's now, uh, her gamble instead before uh, marrying Chris Pratt was just writing like general self-help books. Like, what do you do after college or whatever? Oh, like, you ask your rich uh, millionaire father for money <laughs> yes. or you stay in one of his many houses. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, and I think uh, then her little sister did a book about uh, Adderall addiction that she suffered from or something. So a lot of the book writing writing stuff i mean right you know at least it wasn't kids books like chelsea clinton writes like those pieces of crap but um but yeah greta just and now honestly 20 years later reese witherspoon working a lot with her daughter helping her helping her a lot to produce mm-hmm. her movies so, so it's, it's a circle of life there we'll never be rid of these celebs <laughs> nope <laughs> the joke about millhouse being effeminate again it's like i i mean it's jokes about millhouse being gay there's so many of them but i've said it before but i i refer back to our our pal friend of the show uh, who interviewed me for an article uh, a trans writer Henry uh, Jardina uh, 
their theory that Milhouse is perhaps a trans woman hmm. and that uh, that is a more uh, friendly reading of uh, this than just the like joking that Milhouse is a queer like yeah is, I yeah. mean the intent of the show is look at this disgusting boy who combs dolls and wears mm-hmm. scrunchies he must be mocked yes he must be mocked he is outside of the norms what a horrible child he is hey, 2002 yeah. is bad yeah it's bad nothing time. about it is good yeah <laughs> Greta leaves the the boys only learn late that they could get easy jobs on Hollywood productions by being friends of a famous person's kid <laughs> uh, but uh, but so yes then uh, Milhouse then thinks that they are basically divorced which that's probably because you know he's identifying too much with his dad who thinks like oh if relationships end then uh, she gets half your stuff we have one last attack at Canada here uh, <laughs> but not enough they also then have to tack on a Seinfeld ending well I guess we're single again I can't believe I have to give her half my stuff. But are we still friends? Till the next one. So what do we do now? Well, we're in Canada. Let's find something fun. I've got just the ticket. Come on. I can't believe we're on the Canadian Olympic basketball team. Yep, it's just that easy. Wow, that was close. You can be the center. How come you always run out of tardy slips before you run out of permission slips? How come you suck? Uh, I lack confidence. feels like a deleted scene or something they stuck yeah. at the end because it's yeah. like the the joke on uh, canadian basketball wasn't strong enough <laughs> yes yeah I, that's that's what it feels like oh yeah let's let's reference uh, seinfeld again let's do that i well in in general will what do you think of the you know you hear castellaneta there uh with his canadian basketball player and the and that was uh, harry shearer and tress mcneil doing the two hosts what what do you think of these Ameri- american comedians and their uh mocking of Can- canadian accents i'm uh... Uh, as a representative of Canada, as probably Canada's most famous and beloved global citizen, I think it's okay. Uh, I think we can take a little ribbing. Uh, I would reiterate the point I made earlier, which is that the most interesting thing about this episode is it shows what a group of uh, well-educated Americans, j- without <laughs> doing any research, assume Canada is. It's like, mm. just put a piece of paper in front of them. And I, I truly believe they did no research whatsoever. They put a paper in front of them. What are the things that they think about Toronto? It's like uh, hockey and uh, curling and uh, the CN Tower and the Sky Dome and uh, uh, the Bob and Doug McKenzie song "Take Off" and uh, yeah, 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 uh, and and draft dodgers for the Vietnam War went there. I just think that's interesting. It's an interesting perspective. I guess those draft dodger jokes—they had come back into popularity because it was a thing you could attack George W. Bush over for not going to mm-hmm. Vietnam, which it's like it's one of the better things he did to not bomb people in Vietnam, you know. But eh, what? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, though. This joke about the the quality of the Canadian men's basketball team. Uh, so I mean, in their in their record, they got a silver medal in 1936. No other medals since then. Uh, in the then recent 2000 Summer Games, they did get to the quarterfinals, which you know that's hmm. admirable for Canada and the, the basketball. I think team, so. But... Hey, it's a Canadian sport. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I actually I'm surprised. You know, 
how a few episodes ago we a podcast ago we talked about the season three episode in when flanders failed uh which had the razzing of the cfl i'm surprised there weren't cfl jokes in this place instead it was about uh, the olympic basketball team instead and again i would just like to emphasize because i am uh, canada's spokesperson that <laughs> the toronto raptors did win the 2019 nba finals it was a very proud moment for the country <laughs> so uh the simpsons can put that in their pipe and smoke it yeah times have changed that's for sure we'll see hey we'll see how the those teams do in the 2024 uh, best of luck to the men's canadian basketball team in the 2024 olympics yes. i mean now that we're more of a failed state than ever we have to get off our high horse about canada <laughs> it's true yeah they we count on them for so much but uh, yeah i guess i don't really like that it ends with guys agreeing that like well a woman makes men fight and then they break up and we'll have another fight again over a stupid woman i i'm not the biggest fan it's of that a bit regressive yeah. yeah i mean there there are good uh, season 13 ones we've covered a few of them this one i feel like is a failure uh because greta's boring she's one of bart's most boring uh, girlfriends in quotes they're not that's not even really what's happening here i guess in her mind it's what's happening but there's nothing to her and that's really disappointing anytime a female guest star comes on and they kind of underwrite them to be flattering they don't want to make their character too crazy or whatever it just leads to them being boring mm -hmm. and then the canadian stuff is like four minutes and like will said it's like a chalkboard is in a room write down everything you know about toronto let's get to work <laughs> gentlemen and that's it so yeah i feel like this is a real a real stinker mm -hmm. it's a real stinker i think yeah i would say the overall problem is not so much that the canada stuff is weak although it is it's just that the whole episode kind of shapeless feels like a lot of leftover bits from earlier shows but not as good they should have spent two acts in canada instead but they just uh they only wanted the at the end of the third act to be there and i think the, the biggest uh, point for me that I like in this episode is I wish that Was Up had remained Millhouse's catchphrase to this day <laughs> and that he would enter scenes screaming it and it get only funnier as time went on. But yeah, I mean, also just a real waste of Reese Witherspoon, who is like at the, the height of her powers, like who is a very gifted actress who, you know, despite her business decisions she's made in the last uh, decade or so. I mean, like her in election is she's just the greatest she's so good in that role as tracy Fletcher. i recommend you look up her uh, her best performances when she was pulled over for drunk driving oh hmm. i haven't <laughs> seen that one uh, it's very is, very funny this is beyond <laughs> this is beyond i say that all the time <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh yeah not the not the simpsons best that's yes. for sure uh but thanks again for joining us will please let us know where we can find you and also more about your podcast you have michael and us you have the important cinema club what's going on there that's right michael and us is a culture and politics podcast which i uh host with my buddy luke savage and uh the important cinema club is a film history podcast that i host with my buddy justin DeClue, uh, a big talking simpsons fan by the way and oh. uh you can also find me on on twitter at will sloan esq oh, that's awesome yeah you've uh you, you have some fun tweets sometimes you end up the main character twitter occasionally but <laughs> yeah well I, do, I genuinely don't try to be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was uh thank you we we appreciate being called upon to be our canadian expert for this this episode and all of its uh, toronto specifics here what i forgot to ask like when you were a 10 year old boy in toronto like bart were you the happiest boy 
ever to? Or... <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to say yes for for purposes okay. of, of that. Yes, I was. Who wouldn't want to live in Canada? <laughs> the Simpsons was right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but thank you, Will. Yes, thank you for joining us, Will. Thank you. So thank you so much to Will Sloan for being on the podcast. Please check out uh, Michael and us and the Important Cinema Club. But as for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get all these podcasts one week at a time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up there at the $5 level. You get just that, but also access to everything behind that $5 paywall. That includes all of our limited miniseries, over 100 episodes to date, and that also includes monthly access to our ongoing limited miniseries. That's Talking Futurama and Talking of the Hill. New episodes of those every month, only behind the $5 paywall, only at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, and there is a $10 level as well. When you sign up for that, you get all the $5 stuff, of course, but also access to one extremely long podcast once a month, only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that, Henry? Bob is talking about the What a Cartoon movie podcast, where me and him talk about an animated feature film super duper in depth, just like we do The Simpsons. Most recently, this month, you're going to hear us talk about Rescuers Down Under. That's the end of our summer Disney renaissance, where we previously covered Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid, and we have almost four years worth of What a Cartoon two movies at that level that you can check out for $10 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons this last year we've done some very long podcasts including over five hours about south park bigger longer and uncut over six hours about toy story 3 and six and a half hours about who framed roger rabbit and a giant back catalog in addition to that check it all out one more time at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so as for me i've been one of your hosts bob mackey you can find me on twitter as bob servo and I also have another podcast. It's called Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. And Henry, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. When you follow me on Twitter, you stay up to date with all the stuff going on in my life. And if you're also on Twitter... Following me and Bob, follow the official Twitter account of this podcast at Talk Simpsons Pod. If you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod, you stay in the loop whenever there is a new episode of this podcast, our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, our many exclusives on Patreon, or if there's other news going on in our lives. One more time, that's at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. And lastly, if you want an easy to follow collection of all of our previously released free episodes of this podcast, check out TalkingSimpsonsPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you again next time for the next episode of our community podcast. Talk to the audience, and we'll see you then. No one's doing any bumping. Time to ram a land these ding-dongs.